What's up, Penn Nation? Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to BJPenn.com Radio, the fighter's voice. As always, I'm your host, Jay Kinch, and we are back with another stacked episode. You guys already know what's up. BJPenn.com forward slash MMA news. We are your premier source for all things mixed martial arts, exclusive content, viral videos, all the breaking news. Our team's working hard every day to bring you guys the best information, the most reliable information. Make sure you bookmark us, follow us on social media. Stay up to date. Everything you crave from the sport you love of mixed martial arts, BJPenn.com. We have got you covered, Penn Nation. So, the lineup for this episode. We're going to kick things off with undefeated light heavyweight prospect, a guy who's about to make his second appearance on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, Alonzo Menafield. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Alonzo, you should get familiar now. Because based on what this kid's been able to accomplish so far in his career, you're looking at another big superstar at 205 pounds. Alonzo is set to make his second appearance on this season of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series and hopefully with a big win, sign that contract and fight for the UFC later this year. Next up, after Alonzo, we'll be joined by yet another polarizing figure in mixed martial arts, a lot of haters, but a lot of love as well. Her Majesty Angela Magana. Ultimate Fighter alumni. Had a stint with the UFC, but was released following her last loss to Amanda Bobby Cooper. But since then, she's been trying to build up a team in Puerto Rico where she lives now. And she just announced recently that she'll be making a run at the Olympic Games for Freestyle Wrestling 2020 Tokyo. And she'll be looking to represent Puerto Rico. So we're going to catch up with her about that and a whole lot more. Following Her Majesty, we'll be joined by the Spaniard, Juan Archuleta. You guys have heard him here on... Nope. You guys have heard him on this show before. Multiple weight world champion and king of the cage, recently signed with Bellator, looking to do the exact same thing in that promotion. He's got a big fight coming up June 29th. We're going to discuss all of that with him, the upcoming fight, the matchup, his goals to become a multiple weight champion in Bellator as well. We're also going to discuss training with killers like Cub Swanson, TJ Dillashaw, and a whole lot more. Big props to Juan. Dude said he listens to the show every week. Much love, buddy. You're welcome on this show any damn time, my friend. The next up after Juan, another good friend of the show, and another multiple weight champion for 1FC. The situation himself, Martin Nguyen. We're going to recap his fight with Christian Lee. We're going to talk about what's next for him, what he has planned coming up for the rest of the year, who he'd like to face, some potential big matchups in the works, and a whole lot more. Always a pleasure to speak with our good friend Martin. And closing out tonight's show, another good friend of BJPenn.com, UFC welterweight, fan favorite, the Brahma, Alan Joban. It was recently announced that Alan will be fighting Danny Roberts in Germany on July 22nd. We're going to talk about that matchup and a whole lot more. A very long conversation with him, but a good one. I, I assure you, we cover a lot of stuff. He gives his take on a lot of issues in the sport today. All around good conversation. I know you guys will enjoy that. Pretty solid show, to be completely honest with you. BJPenn.com radio, the fighter's voice. Let's waste no time, guys. We'll jump right into it. Our first guest of the evening, Alonzo Menafield. 
All right, Penn Nation, please welcome to the show undefeated light heavyweight who looks to stamp his ticket to the big leagues on this season of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, Alonzo Menafield. What's going on, Alonzo? Where are you calling us from today, man? Uh, I'm calling from Texas um, in uh, Plano area. But, uh, yeah, everything's all good, man. What's up? Cool, cool. Now, you're set to make your sophomore appearance on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series two weeks from now. Uh, how excited are you to get back out there and prove that you belong in the UFC? Oh, man, I'm super excited, you know, uh, given the opponents and all that uh, dilemma. Uh, I'm, I'm excited that I have one. I'm excited to be fighting and getting a second opportunity. I've got to say, man, I'm always excited to speak with up-and-coming guys like yourself. Uh, this sport is constantly progressing at such a quick pace, and there's endless talented guys out there that just haven't made names for themselves yet. Uh, talk to us about the importance of this opportunity for you. Uh, yeah, the importance, uh, this is feeling for me like a real blessing. Um, and just based on all the, you know, the fighters in the world are out there, for me to have the situation, you know, I see the moment and I'm very grateful. So I'm just feeling very blessed to be able to have this opportunity and showcase my, my, my uh, talent. Now you're taking on Deshaun Boatwright. What can you tell us about your opponent, if anything at all? Uh, well, I don't know too much about him as far as his films. You know, they're pretty old. Um, I think he's been out for about a year. But, I mean, he he kicks a lot. Uh, he, he looks like he, he's always in the gym. So, uh, pretty much that's what I look for, him to kick and grab onto me. Uh, that's pretty much all I can say about him. Right, right. Well, it's, it's hard to go on study, as far as uh, studying opponents goes when you guys are so young in your career, so I completely understand where you're coming from. But, you know, give us your thoughts on how your first appearance ended with the eye injury. Uh, unfortunate, of course, but did you feel satisfied with that win? Oh, yeah. The, the last appearance on Dana White, uh, Tuesday Contenders Theory, I, I wasn't uh, happy about it at all. Uh, quite frankly, I didn't even care about the bonus or the winning. I just wanted to have, like, a glorious battle. Uh, especially when Daniel Jolly cracked me over the head with that overhand. But um, given that situation, you know, when all is said and it's done and the dust settles, I mean, it's pretty pretty cool that I got the W. Now, fighting at light heavyweight, man, but weighing under that weight limit, I'm wondering, what is your walk-around weight? Is it 200 pounds? No, no. Um, I, I accidentally weighed in 199 my last fight because my scale was broke. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I was actually uh, hurting on that one. But uh, normally I, I walk around like 230, uh, 228. I try to stay below 230. And so I try to stay in the range of 225, 228. But I can easily blow up and be, you know, a big can if I wanted to. Okay, so uh, you're obviously wise to not deplete yourself too much, staying around 230 not having to cut too much weight, but that was just a mistake with your scale. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, right? It's pretty crazy. The, the day of that fight, I actually went in. Uh, the day of the weigh-in, I actually went to go to the sauna and do like an extra two, three hours. Oh, that is brutal, man. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, all first-round finishes in your career, undefeated. It really doesn't get much better than that, man. Do you put any pressure on yourself to continue living up or living up to or su surpassing your previous performances? No, no. You know, I just take it as I go. You know, I always say gain experience, and uh, I put 
pretty much just put my head down and stay focused to a greater task, which I say uh, is called Top Dog. And that, that's to be in the UFC Top Dog. Um, and that's pretty much what I want to do. And ultimately aim for the championship, bro. Now, seriously, man, based on markability alone, marketability alone, uh, I'd say the UFC should sign you right now. Your story is inspirational. In and out of foster homes from 11 years old with your brother, getting into trouble with fighting, going into juvie, then a college football career, now to mixed martial arts. It's safe to say that, uh, in my opinion, sports was the, the saving grace for you after all the struggles of your youth. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, that is accurate. Um, and uh, it's been a long journey, a very long journey. You know, I'm here. Right, right. Well, I gotta say, man, I have friends that that have a similar story in regards to the foster care homes and juvenile detention centers, and in adulthood, a few of them have become the hardest working people I know. You know, those kinds of struggles struggles either make or break you, right? Right, right. I agree. They they can break you or, or make you. In my case, it definitely made me. So when did martial arts enter your life, and, and how did you get into MMA? Oh, basically, you know, I was in football, uh, you know, and I haven't been playing that sport for about almost, or just about four years I was in the football, uh, and I was at A&M Commerce, and I just started, um, I guess, training at, a, training at a gym called Chop Shop, uh, and pretty much just uh, train football and MMA at Chop Shop. Um, and it, it all was inspired by, uh, I seen a, I called him the guy, but his name was Rampage Jackson. He like picked this dude up and he slammed him. I'm like, oh man, I want to do that. <laughs> so, so the whole momentum was like, okay, if I ever want to do that, that's something I want to do because I would like to do that to another person. And then, you know, lo and behold, football fell through and it was like, all right, you know, I, I'm going to decide the factor of my future. I'll do MMA. And that's when I went into MMA. So Rampage Jackson, Jackson's slam of Ricardo Arona, that's where it all started for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's where it started. I was like, man, I would like to do that. Wow, that is tremendous. And obviously that being one of the greatest highlights of all of mixed martial arts, you know, the history of the sport. But, uh, you know, based on the results so far, man, this is clearly your calling. I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's my calling because, you know, I- at first, I tried it out in the amateur ring. It's like, you know, these guys are falling. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I guess I have a future in it. And then I kept at it. And then, you know, obviously, the the record shows it. And I'm just pretty stoked to be able to do this and perform the way I am and just keep growing and growing. What discipline of mixed martial arts have you fallen in love with most? Uh, I, I fell in love with the, uh, the boxing side and then the wrestling uh, for the past I guess a year and a half now. Uh, I've already did Muay Thai for like six years. So, but uh, yeah, wrestling and boxing, man, I, I love those two. Right, that seems to be the case with a lot of people that get into striking. You you start out with Muay Thai, then you learn the sweet science, and you really fall in love with that. Yeah, yeah, the sweet science—that's the way you should call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who inspires you most in the game? I know you mentioned Rampage Jackson, but, you know, what MMA athletes have you looked up to over the years? Uh, you know, as far as inspiration, you know, I think God moves through all of them, and they're all great vessels. But ultimately, who inspires me is God, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and then, you know, just me having the idea that I have to be a provider 
that's my myself. And pretty much, yeah, I just keep that in mind and remember my past and I just go for it. That's what pretty much inspires me. Now, I know you mentioned uh, wanting to be top dog, but tell us about your goals as a martial artist. Obviously, you want to become champion, but if, but aside from that, man, what, what do you want to accomplish in the sport? Uh, you know, I just want to accomplish, one, I guess, being a guy that, you know, just come to war and just, you know, perform very well and I, I guess just inspire others and just, you know, show them that, you know, given the situation of what cards you dealt with, you can always elevate and be something great. And, you know, ultimately I just want to be great. And clearly, uh, I think you'll fit the fit the bill for a great role model as well. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> my pleasure, my friend. Um, again, man, I truly believe you do have an incredible story and the future holds. Uh, what the future has in store for you, you have the potential to be a huge star in the sport. Uh, you've been more than generous with your time. Just a couple more questions here for you. After the big win on the show, you get the UFC contract. How quickly after that should we expect to see you make your promotional debut? I hope, man. I'll go to next week. But um, <laughs> I was giving it, like, right? Uh, I'll say August, uh, and then if no injury, I'll pray for that. I'll say I'll fight in December. So two times before the year is over. We'd be fine with me. Uh, that would be awesome. Another, uh, what, what would that be, three more first-round finishes? That's that's what you're shooting for? Yeah, I mean, if it, if it comes, you know, I don't search it. I don't search for them. I go in there and I do what my, you know my my game plan. And if they fall, they fall. But yeah, definitely. If it comes, I'll take it. For sure, man. And listen, in conclusion, how do you visualize this fight with Deshaun playing out? What's your prediction if you have one? Uh, prediction is that you know he probably grab and kick a lot. Um, and then off of that, you know, I do my game plan. Uh, but I definitely plan on you know being an aggressor. And, you know, having a great battle. Uh, and given the nature of where he comes from, uh, it should be a good fight and all. So I think everyone should watch because this would be a great battle. Well, I got to tell you, man, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Alonzo. I look forward to you taking the UFC by storm. And hopefully we can catch up again soon. Any shout-outs or sponsor plugs you want to get in before we let you go? Uh, no, you know, pretty much if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram. as Alonzo Minnesota MMA. Uh, just... Follow me, and then I'm like, yeah, let's get the support team going and move forward. That's pretty much it. All right, again, man, good luck with the fight. Very much looking forward to uh, your next appearance on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series and your eventual uh, coming into the UFC, becoming that top dog, as you talked about. You have a wonderful day, man. Greatly appreciate your time. You as well. Take care. All right, bud. Like I said at the beginning of the show, make sure you guys keep your eyes on Alonzo. Very talented dude. Great record. Goes for the finish. Guaranteed to be a big deal in the sport. Let's keep it moving, though. Coming up next, our second guest of the evening. Loved by some, hated by many, but nonetheless, you tune in to see your fight. As I mentioned earlier, certainly a polarizing figure in mixed martial arts. Loved by many. Hated by many as well. Her Majesty, Angela Magana. This is BJPenn.com Radio. Coming up next, Angela Magana. All right, Penn Nation, please welcome back to the show 
Your Majesty, Angela Magana. Pleasure, as always, to speak with you. Greatly appreciate the time today. How was life in Puerto Rico? Um, you know, everything's great. Uh, very exciting for myself. Um, lots of stuff happening at, with my whole gym, all the fighters at my gym, including myself. Um, things, things are good, you know. There was some news, uh, Harvard study recently, that showed there is over 4,600 deaths from Hurricane Maria. I'm positive that that is a lot bigger um, number than, than, than they even know because I, for instance, know people who died and were buried in their yard and they've never been able to tell anybody that or they had to bury these people, their family in their yard. So I know for sure the death count's not even accurate as high as it is. I mean, and that's more deaths that was in the Iraq war, the Afghanistan, Afghan war, more deaths than 9-11. So, um, and there's, uh, like for myself, I live in Old San Juan, which is like the main tourist area. So uh, everything was put back here pretty well, pretty fast. My house wasn't messed up. But it's all the people in my neighborhood whose houses were blown away. They still haven't been rebuilt with all the promises that the government had told us. So for a lot of people, things are still very grim and not very well. And I'm still hustling to help out. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I wanted to touch on all that as well. Last time we spoke was just after the hurricane that de- devastated the region completely. Uh, you had talked about the people banding together to help each other. Uh, but there was a not not enough being done internationally. It sounds like that that has not changed at all. Nothing's changed actually. Still hasn't. Um, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I don't know why is it what keeps happening. But every week we usually um, have some kind of a power outage. Sometimes, like I'll go buy, I'll do a huge shop. I've got three kids. I'll I'll spend two hundred bucks at the grocery store, and then the electricity goes out, and it's like for a day. And I thought, what the hell do I do with these groceries? And then you go to the gas station, and everybody's there to fill up gas for their generators. I'm not even there for that, for the ice, you know. Um, that's a six-hour line to get the ice, and so it's not even worth it. Right, right. Well, I, I tell you, I, I feel like the world has kind of forgotten about Puerto Rico at this point. You know, from your perspective yeah. being there, what else can be done and what, what needs to be done, in your opinion? Okay, so you know what I believe is going on? I believe it's a conclusion, of course. Um, I believe that, so they said, we're going to help you guys, we're going to help you guys, and there's been no help. And I believe that this is running everybody out. Like, you can't, that you're going to inhabitable. A lot of these communities are uninhabitable. And the, the gold is getting so bad in these houses because there's no kind of airflow, there's no electricity. Um, so it's forcing the people out to go to move to a huge exodus, you know, to go where they can get help in the state for their problems that they have. Um, so I believe they're doing this on purpose to get the people out. Um, and because there's such a huge tax break, if you are not from the state, if you're from the state and you move here, if you're not from Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, if you're not Puerto Rican born, and you move from the state, you have you pay no personal tax, you pay no property tax, and if you open a business, you pay no business tax. So they're giving these huge incentives for, um, as they like to say, the gringos to come move in, you know? So they're, they're giving this huge incentive for all these people to come in and take over this island, and they're not giving any help to the people who were devastated. So it, it's a really, um, when you start to look at the big picture, it's quite appalling. Yeah, I'll tell you that that's something I listen to a lot of uh, economists and their podcasts, and I, I try to watch that as closely as I can. And one of them in particular moved his entire business to Puerto Rico because of all of those tax incentives that you're talking about. Uh, so it's the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers um, no. have their businesses are out of here. <laughs> so what's the, hmm, right, hmm, right. Let's just 
think about that one for a minute. <laughs> well, this How many guy... millions of dollars are they saving? All the pharmaceutical companies are out here. They've raised the land, and um, they uh, a lot of huge pharmaceutical companies came out here, and they because of that purpose. So, yeah, anybody who's smart and has a lot of money would, would definitely move there. Like, yeah, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, the, supposedly their residencies out here, and yeah, they save all them billions of dollars. So it's it sounds like to me really like to. it sounds to me like from what it looks like for you it's it's a big business taking advantage of a, of a tragedy. Yeah, it's capitalism and it's stuff, of course. So, and then the way they tax people, I mean, people take guns, but the people of Puerto Rico, the United States took over, has really been quite appalling. And they made it the Puerto Rican man be in the front line. They tested birth control on the women here. <laughs> I guess they're, they're like against the, they didn't give them a choice against their will. It's pretty, pretty weird, everything that's happened here, that, that a lot of the, that nobody knows. But, I mean, that's not anything in the government. That's not anything anywhere. When you start digging and start realizing the truth, there's a lot of horrible things out there. So sometimes it's good just to be a little ignorant, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And while I certainly hope things do get better and, and that people kind of band together and do what they need to to get Puerto Rico back on its feet, uh, I, I truly do hope that that happens. But I'm sure we could discuss this for hours. There's plenty else to, to discuss, though, in regards to your career. Uh, last time we had you on the show, it was just after the loss to Amanda Cooper. You had talked about how uh, you know you could have won that fight and, and that you learned a lot there. Uh, you also mentioned that you had been in contact with the UFC matchmakers. Uh, you were hoping not to be released. Then just a few days after that, it was announced that you did get released by the company. Walk us through all of that. What was your reaction to being let go? Oh, it was, it was quite interesting. When I was let go, my lawyer had called me to tell me because they had contacted him first. Um, and then he had given me the email that they had sent. It was because of my loss, my, my current loss. Um, and I was the first one was like, wait, she's won a fight, and I haven't even won a fight. Why did they cut her and not me? So I guess maybe her experience, she only had a couple of fights. Um, and I remember being more, like, upset about that, feeling that was more unfair than what happened to me, myself. Um, so that, that was, and I guess maybe I kind of knew it was coming, <laughs> to be honest. So um, I feel like the next time uh, around, I feel like, you know, if I have that, if I decide to, um, Whenever I decide to go, you know, the next time around, the UFC was the lucky to pay me. <laughs> so, I've, like I said, I learned a lot. I made some changes, um, fixed my blood disease. I've, uh, I'm working on some strength. My, I, I built back a lot of muscle. I was actually, it was very interesting. I'm going to post something about this. I have these shorts. The very first fight I did in the, in the UFC Reebok here with Michelle Watterson, I had those shorts, which were very tight on me. Um, and they were the, the longer Valley Tudo. And then I had the shorts for my last fight, which were big on me. And they literally look like a different person. It looks like smaller than my 12-year-old daughter's um, shorts. It, it's quite horrifying. Cause I was, like, pulling out all my shorts the other day. And I thought, and it's like, to think I was that little. And to know that I fought at this weight. And for, the, like, this size to be, like, twice as small as this one. It's incredible to see how much weight I had lost and how thin I was and, and just how depleted I was. But I do have a, a well, I, my dream of wrestling for the Olympics, I was going towards that, and then I, I've been in the talks with a few promotions, and I'm finally starting to lock something in, hopefully for August, for a fight. 
Yeah, I was going to say, based on social media, I could tell that you were being positive about the situation. Uh, that being said, you mentioned promotions there and some offers. What kind of offers and what promotions are you possibly looking at? Oh, there's been quite a few, honestly. There's been, uh, there's been talks of um, Invicta, Combat America. Uh, who else is there? I, I'm talking about Rise. I've talked to Ryzen. I've talked to, wait, who did Invicta. Uh, I'll bare knuckle, try to do some stuff with me. Uh, I've been in contact with a lot of them, but one of the terms, that I um, am making, and they are actually going, are biting on it, is that um, I don't want to be a TKO. There's no TKO in my fight. That really feels like in my last fight, um, I didn't deserve that. And even in the fight that I had on a tough show against Ashley Daly, like, I was still moving. I was still, that was a really dodgy referee and fight there. I was on the girl's back and he stood me up. Um, so I feel like... Uh, and no stand-ups either is what I, I put in there. So there's no stand-ups, and there's so that the jiu-jitsu practitioner gets to work, you know, and that there's no um, TKOs, and, and we're coming to a resolution. So I'll be signing a contract soon and being able to know who and who I'm fighting for and the person I'll be fighting. Wow. So really, so making all those stipulations, there are there are promotions out there that are willing to willing to go for that. Well, for me, they are. I don't know. I don't know if they've ever done that or anybody else, but that's the stipulations that I wanted, and they're wanting to please me. So, uh, and what else are we going to make the fight better? No TKO? Come on. Right, well. That's only going to make the fight more exciting. Well, I'd imagine that you'd have a hell of a time doing that with with the athletic commission. I mean, interesting. Maybe it's not in this country. (laughs) Right, right, right. I've been talking to people in Brazil, too. I've been in a lot of talks. I got this guy, Johnny Gee, he was um, one of the guys that was, I forgot that the, the training of Anderson Silver where he was, he was a, he's from them, and um, he's been having a lot of talks with them, they've been pretty privy, actually there's a couple of organizations who have been onto my idea. Wow, that's very cool, so, you, you, you might revolutionize yeah. some things here, who knows? I hope. <laughs> right. Now, all of this I mean, has led to you deciding to pursue a shot in the Olympics, Tell us about how you came to that yeah. conclusion. Okay, so before my last fight with Cooper, um, I was training with the Olympic coaches and the national team over there. I was just going there on their live wrestling days, and I was doing very well. Well, since I've opened my gym, actually that gym, the Olympic coaches gave me their mat to put in my gym. Since I opened my gym, they had started the Olympic one of the Olympic coaches too. The Olympic coaches had started coming over to my gym, and I was wrestling with them, doing some private. And they're like, you really, you know, they realized how good I was. And um, I had, I've been in talks about this for a long time, actually. And then finally, I've been seeing uh, one of our Olympians, Jaime Aspinall. Yeah, I think he won silver at the last one. And then another one, Franklin. He, they came to our gym and I was telling him, you know, again, like, hey, what's the process? This and that, this and that. Um, they finally came another time. And I was like, they're like, uh, one of their old national team coaches. Uh, wrestlers and turned into a coach wrestled with me he was more my size and I did very well and they're like you're good enough to get on the national team I don't think we have a problem uh, so I went to the practice and I com- I, I, I competed I did very well in, in training with the because most of the people that on this at this wrestling club are on the national team the best coaches and that's the all Olympic coaches with their team um, so there's, you know, there's other people on the national, the national team that are not in that gym of course but most of them are in that gym, and because the best coaches are there. 
when I go, it would be like 116 and a half pounds. It's 53 kilograms is what I would qualify for the Olympic weight class. And it's a little different now because you have to weigh in on, 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 on uh, hours before you compete. Right. So, uh, so that's the dream, and they believe in me, and they see what I'm doing. And the crazy thing is, is like when I wrestled in high school, it was not folks. It was folk style. It wasn't freestyle. And when I wrestled, it was all boys. I never wrestled a girl. Right. So I did well. I pinned some boys. I was on the varsity team. I did good. But I had no idea. I never measured myself against a woman. And apparently, I do really well. So they're like, I'm, I'm not walking onto the team because I had to. I have to qualify in December to make it up to the national team. But there are wrestling things that they're going to let me. Um, certain wrestling things I'm going to go, they'll coach me. I can't technically be on the team, but they're going to like, walk on to train with them, to do everything. And, and then when they do all their national stuff, I'm going to be with them doing the training. And I'll compete at some of these tournaments, but on my own, like as if I had my own wrestling club or something. And they'll still be able to coach me. Um, so until I, I get to the, to, the, to the tournament in December for the nationals. And then I'll make it to the national team. And then they'll love it for the next year. So this this would be freestyle wrestling representing Puerto Rico. Yeah. Now, what do you need to do to qualify for the games? Do you also need blessing by the governing body in Puerto Rico? It sounds like you already have that. Um. Well, yeah. I just have to. I have to wrestle for the spot on the national team. Like, like, uh, there's like different. Like, like, like this weekend there was a thing to qualify for the Pan Ams and, and all of that. I mean, you can do that too um, away from the national team. But I missed all the kind of missed the windows for that. But they're going to let me go ahead and do all these things without being on the national team. So I don't know if they're, I don't know, if, like, how they're doing that. I don't know the detail. And the funny thing is, it's just this. It's all in Spanish. I'm not fluent. And the thing is, the coach, the, the one that's always talking, he's a Cuban, so he has this Cuban, crazy Cuban accent. He's like some, like, six-time champ from Cuba who's our coach. And I can't understand him when he's yelling. I can't really understand him when he's talking. So I'm like... When I was in high school co- being coached, I didn't get coached. They didn't like me. I was the only girl on the team. They didn't like that. They didn't want a girl and girls pain in the ass, you know. They didn't like it. They still don't know the redneck town I was from. Um, so, they, uh, uh, when I had practice when I was younger, when I was in high school and junior high, they never coached me. So, I stood and learned by watching. I never even was even coached one-on-one ever. And so... Now there's this language barrier, but it's okay. I'm, I'm working with a, there's a, a few kids that I'll like, a few guys I'll match up with that are can speak English, or I'll be like, how do they just say, or I just figure it out by watching. So it's kind of interesting to make it onto a team, and if I do, you know, on a team where there's a bit of, I need to go look at my Spanish, but it's just interesting to be the, the minority, you know, to not be right. able to speak the language, to be the one in the room that doesn't understand, but has to just kind of figure it out. Well, and it was like that before because they didn't like me as the girl. <laughs> so, so not only do you have the, uh, you know, the, the the gap of of the language barrier, but for me, I would imagine that that making the transition from mixed martial arts athlete to freestyle wrestling Olympian, that's going to be a difficult journey. You know, tell us about your confidence going into this and and uh, this ambitious goal. Well, you know, like the girl who I have to go, the competitive one, she's from a Greco-speaking team. The one that I have to go against for the, the spot on the team, the national team on my weight class, um, she's only 18. <laughs> I'm 35 in a couple of months. So, number one, that's pretty crazy uh, that she's so, uh, she's so, the big age gap there nearly could be her mother. My daughter's 16 tomorrow. So, um, number one, there's that, which pumps me up. Um, I, and the thing is, I 
it takes this blood disease that I have. So it's like all of a sudden I have all this knowledge, all this ability, and now I can actually communicate it to my body and my brain with the extra oxygen that I have in my body so that I can perform the way that I was made to perform. So I have this, like, new lease on life with that um, blood disease. Because honestly, during the fight, during my like, training camp, right before the hurricane hit, I found out about this blood disease and started treating it. I felt like a superhuman because all of a sudden I went from running a nine-minute mile to a six-minute mile in just a few weeks. Yeah, I remember so, you telling I'm us about that, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, I have this superhuman ability, nothing can break me down. Um, but not realizing how much muscle I was losing because I wasn't able to eat what I needed to eat. I didn't have, you know, nobody had electricity. Nobody had, you had no way of doing anything. It's like, like camping all the time. So um, I feel like uh, I just have this, this new lease on my on life. And my knees are sore, you know, but I remember before resting practice, my knees were always sore. <laughs> so I, I hope my, my body, as long as my body does well, I'm I'm going to do well. But, you know, we have a lot of older people on our team. Jaime's my age. There's another one. Franklin's my age. I think there's another one who's even a little older than me. Um, all of our teams are a lot older. It's kind of weird. Well, you, you, you see that in mixed martial arts sometimes, obviously, with uh... – the, the, the wealth of knowledge that you gain through the years, if, if the body can keep up, then, then you know, you become a, uh, a pretty dangerous opponent. But, you know, speaking of mixed martial arts, it sounds like you're not closing the door on that, but will you, like, solely be focused on Tokyo 2020? Um, yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to get this fight, this fight this year, maybe try to get another one before the window of the Nationals. Because that'll be my, my main opportunity. But if I don't, then I will get onto the national team, maybe have one more fight early in the season, and then I'm done and talk to Pat until I'm done with that. Or until that. And then as soon as I'm done with the Olympics, that, and then I'll, I'll be back into MMA. Well, it, on, on, the, uh, on the financial side of things, you know, I've always wondered this because we hear these horror stories of Olympians that, that never make any money. How is that going to work for you, aside from maybe taking some fights? I know you've got the gym opened, but... Uh, I have no idea. So that's right. the first thing the Olympic coach told me, is that there's no money. And I said, I don't care. You think I'm doing the Olympics for the fucking money? Right. <laughs> no way. Yeah, nobody My does. My motivation is no money. I uh, I have some mutual funds. I have some real estate. I have a house in the state. I have a couple properties. I have property in Mexico. I have some... I was very smart at a young age. Um... I bought my house at 21, and I already had another house, so I have that two properties. Uh, I was just really young, and I, I was always extremely poor. I don't have family money. I, have, I was, you know, I had heroin addict parents, so all the, the ways that I've been able to do this is through fighting and um, sponsorships. I have really great sponsors, um, and uh, I was just smart. I did a lot of forex trading for a while. Right now, I can't do it. I don't have any good internet service or Wi-Fi to even think about forex trading. Right. Uh, I'm actually buying another property here. Um, I'm trying to get it for about 20. They're asking 25, but it's actually a three-story property. The first one has a three-bedroom house. The second story has an apartment. The third story is being built. And um, that's kind of my hardest decision in life right now is what what I should do with some of the cash that I've got saved. Uh, so that's, that's a really good uh, for me. I don't have to worry about the money. I'm not doing it. My motivation never been the money um and i'm not a rich woman by no means but as far as money goes i'm, I'm rich in a lot of other ways i i, I have enough money to keep me in my going but so well that's good so so you have you have the 
the uh, the ability to fall back on that and pursue this without having to stress yourself out over you know the next fight paycheck. No, yeah, I don't. That's why you know I'm not in a rush to fight. Um, that's why I I'm ready, waiting for the contract um, that I want. <laughs> I don't need to fight for money. I don't fight for money. I did it before, but um, I've been able to build my career enough. Since my first fight, I've never had to have a regular job. I've always had sponsors. It's right. my very first fight. Now, now tell us about being the you know the gym owner life. How is that going for you? Um, I like it. Um, it's it's cool. We got the we got the the boxers. So, um, and and they're used to being like so in Puerto Rico. There's over 500 boxing gyms. So before the hurricane, and so the government pays for that. The government um there there's like city clubs. You know, every neighborhood has boxing clubs, and nobody has to pay. So we don't. Our boxers are free. The community members are free. Um. But so I'm not really creating much of it. And the thing is, is I have now I'm, I'm got classes on Monday and Wednesday for jujitsu. But now I have to do this Olympic thing. So it's like, um, kind of when I can, <laughs> it's kind of like just, uh, I'm working on that. I'm still working on getting classes, structuring it more. But um, like my goal right now is the Olympics, and so like everything else has to kind of be put on hold. So. Uh, I just not able to work one on one as much as I can. I had to have somebody else look at the boxers last night. Um, I'm just having to hustle now. Like there's all this whole Olympic thing, and, and and getting my time schedule for that. It just happened this week, and then I found out the fight this week. Like the like even closer coming in. So now I'm really trying to have to rearrange stuff around my schedule to fit. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You're gonna be incredibly busy and have to, like I said earlier, you know, focus solely on on the 2020 games because, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, money is not a motivation, but it truly is a honorable experience, and only the best get there. So, uh, you know, you yeah. definitely have to put that dedication into it. Uh, but I wanted to change. My daughter, my daughter, my daughter's 15, and she um, is an excellent cook. I taught her how to cook. <laughs> very healthy. Good. So, very good. At least Okay, I'm done training. Dinner will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And she's really good at massage too. It takes a whole team. I don't know if you know any fighters personally, but like, I, there's there's no way that you could be in a relationship with two fighters being active at the same time. Like, um, you have to have a lot of help from your family, from your teammates, from, from your kids. Have oh to yeah. Be, you know, oh everything. Yeah. Well, that's why that's why most fighters when they go in there they don't say I, they say we because it takes a village, you know. Oh, it really, really, really does. Oh, my gosh. Sure. For sure. Now, listen, I wanted to change gears here for a moment, get an update on the situation with Cyborg. Uh, You know, she completed her anger management classes, which in turn led to the charges being dropped against her. However, you're still going forward with a civil lawsuit, correct? Yes, of course. Of course, I am. Um, And I'm from the one who they, I I agreed to that, that 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 would be the, the terms. So I could have pursued the charges even further and tried to get her with a felony charges, but I decided to be cool. I decided that uh, if she took anger management classes because of her worried rage, that she could, uh, I even said those exact words, that she, um, I would drop the charges. So I guess she completed them. Now, now, where does that all stand at this point? You know, are you expecting to settle anytime soon or? Uh, no, 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 she hasn't even been served yet. We were, my lawyer was kind of waiting for this part to be done with, and okay. then she'll be served. Okay. Now, s- some people have criticized you about this and said that it's an attempt to make a quick money grab. What's your response to that? Um, like, the fact that I'm 
expect her. I don't fight for money or fight paycheck to paycheck, and she's the one always crying about money, kind of proves the point. Like, I don't really have to say much. If I needed money that bad, I would be taking fights. Look at how Beck has to take fights because she's, you know, mama doing that. And, and she's younger in her career, so she's having to hustle like I did back then and fight, 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 fight. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't need cyborg money. <laughs> like I said, my biggest decision right now is where to invest the money that I got. Right, right, right. Okay, so I, you know, that was just something I wanted to touch on since we had you on the line here. But getting back to the athletic career, obviously you want Olympic gold. That's the ultimate goal for you. Uh, but do you hope to make your way back into the UFC as well? Um, you know, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Like, I'm not really happy with the way the UFC is going. They're putting on great fights, but like the whole storyline is just not as bullshit. The way they're killing their legends off, like Dana White back in the day, they're like, oh, Chuck Liddell, you want to fight anymore? Sure, you got a job. Um, and I think, you know, Dana not having as much uh, control on those types of things, like, I just don't like the way the storyline is really going too much. The, the way that the, the fights that they're putting together and, um, I just not, I don't know. I don't know. And then I hear that they're doing more fights and it's just going to really oversaturate the market. But, you know, it's growing pain. It's a young sport, and I'm still going to get old with the sport, so we'll see uh, what happens. I mean, if, if the UFC came knocking down and said, hey, Angela, we need you, I would, say, I would say yes under the right conditions, under the right terms. Of course, they wouldn't be able to do the, the terms that I want right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, give us a look. You know what's really funny? I have to bring up that nobody caught somebody, like, this is funny. Everybody really pays attention to what I say, but a lot of times not what my opponents, my, my past opponents have said. So when somebody asked me, said, yeah, when somebody asked me about Amanda Cooper, I literally, um, oh, she's good. She might want to be in the sport, but sport doesn't need her. I literally um, quoted exactly what she said. <laughs> and when I saw her, like, uh, what she said about me, you know, and nobody even caught on to that. They just thought I was bashing her. I was like, Well, no, and at the same time, I think uh, a lot of a lot of people look at you as a heel, right? And and I think that you've embraced that role too. So uh, when I guess when there's there's you know you try to mix people up like that, they they don't even think to to do some research on it to to, to see if that was you know something that your opponent had already said to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They just want to hear what they they want to hear, and come to find out, like the day I got on the scale, my fight day fully. Clothes, waited in with shoes on. I was one seventeen. I've never been. I was freaking out. I was like, "What?" And my corner, like, knew I was about to freak out about it. Like, "Why am I so light?" And they're like, "It's okay. That means you had a good luck. You had a healthy weight cut in. So don't worry." You know. <laughs> and the guy who like weighed me from the UFC was like, "Don't worry, too," because I could tell I was like, "What the fuck? I'm so light." Um, and I, ca- I heard that she was one thirty two the date that she came in. So I'm like, "Wow." 
they do, I think they do something like about, um, they've never done that before. They weigh you in when you get to the venue. I had never had that happen in my fights before that. And I think that's something they just started to do. But I think they, and now I hear Dana's going back to the old way of the weight cutting, which I don't think is good for the athletes, especially if they're not allowed to have the IVs. Yeah, there's been a lot of backlash against that so far just in the past couple of days alone. Uh, you know, you're you're, you're going what back is to that. What's the reasoning? Do you, do you know what the reasoning is behind that? Um, it might it might be because uh, there's been so many guys missing weight. Maybe he wants to give them a longer time to to cut down that weight. But at the same time, you've heard I've heard guys complain about having to get up in the morning, stay on weight, not eat anything, and then wait all the way until later in the evening to finally weigh in and. I mean, I think no matter what way you cut it, it, it sucks to an extent, right? Yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely, I think that people should have to, <laughs> I would be all in for day and weigh-ins, honestly, so you have to just be natural fucking weight, your natural rooter. I would be all up for morning weigh-ins day your fight. Yeah. That. Well, that, that, that's like, been a, I think that's how it should be. Yeah, and that's been a big talk for quite some time now when you see the success of people moving up in weight to fight closer to their walk-around weight, the successes that they have, um... So I agree with you there. But listen, you've been more than generous with your time. I just have a couple more questions here for you. Uh, give us a rundown of how you expect the next year and a half to play out leading up to Tokyo 2020. Well, I, August 12th, uh, August, not 12th, August 20-something is what they were saying. Hopefully, the end of August, I'll be fighting, hopefully, if we get everything dealt with. Um, and I'll be from uh, the local tournaments here while I'll get to face the girl who is in my weight class and on the national team. So I'm hunting her down. I want to see how I compete against her. So hopefully I win. If that doesn't go my my decision, you know, then I'll figure out how to beat her for this next tournament. So that's my eyes on this girl who I need to beat for the national team. But this, this is the only competition I have, biggest competition I have for it. Um, um, hopefully get another fight before the end of the year. If not, make the national team and then be on the national team for 2019 and 2020 represent. All right, cool, cool. Listen, I give you a ton of credit for going after. I got something really quick. It was really interesting. Was getting I got back from practice, I was saying to my coach, I was like, "Hey, for the Olympics, you're going to be fighting the national team." And I got, I got this. I'm going to do open mats at my gym all the time. And I just have all this training jumping into my lap now, and I'm like, "Oh, like fight and do it." And late, like later on, I got we got that message like within hours that they were interested in everybody too. Okay, you, you you broke up a little bit throughout that. Say that again? Oh, okay. I'm just really happy that I can, I feel like um, the way that you train for uh, the Olympics, you're going to be in fight shape all the time. So right, I'm happy okay, that yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, in the daytime, I can train my MMA, and at night, I'll be training for the Olympics. Right, okay. So, and, and that, that also lends itself to any fight opportunities that might come up uh, for you in between. Yeah, but 2019... Unless it's in the very beginning of the year, I won't be fighting. I don't want to risk injury for. You know. Yeah, no, that would be silly. That would be silly. All right, well, I, I, like I said, I, I give you a ton of credit for going after it like you are. Not many people would be bold enough to make the sacrifices needed to make it to the Olympics. Uh, so, in conclusion, address any of the haters out there doubting you and all the fans that have been supporting you along the journey. Well, um, you know, thanks to all my fans who have who are supporting me, and I'm actually gonna be a lot more louder about stuff and more vocal because I have a lot to say. I, I think I'm quite funny. That's why I, <laughs> I say the shit that they do because I, I make myself laugh and I don't give a shit if anybody else laughs. That's not what I think is funny. So, um, 
actually, I really love my haters too. So, okay, haters. <laughs> well, you got to. Any publicity is good publicity, and we've seen plenty of that in mixed martial arts today. But uh, uh, any shout-outs or sponsor plugs before we let you go or anything you think we missed, the floor is yours. Let's see. No, I mean, just shout-out to all my teammates, um, all my coaches. You know who they are. Um, shout-out to Puerto Rico Olympic team. I'm going to be there soon. <laughs> Uh, that's it. I don't really know. Um, I always forget when it comes to this. Right. Well, sure no problem. No problem. Again, we greatly appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for always joining us on, on the Fighter's Voice BJ Penn Radio. Uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon, maybe before uh, the, the fight happens or once the fight gets announced. And again, best of luck in this uh, incredible pursuit of Olympic gold. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. You too, Angela. Say what you want about Angela with the cyborg situation, how her career has gone. Regardless, it takes a ton of balls to do what she's going to do and try out for that Olympic team. Will she make it? The future will only tell. But if she does, it'll be a huge accomplishment under her cap. And uh, we give her all the props in the world for going after that. However, as we always do, let's keep it moving. Coming up next, multiple weight world champion and king of the cage looking to do so. In Bellator as well. Hopefully by the end of the year you could possibly see him in the talks for a title fight or possibly even with the title fight. One of the most talented guys outside of the UFC, Juan Archuleta. Alright, Penn Nation, please welcome back to the show. Former King of the Cage, multiple weight champion, who is now looking to have that same success in Bellator MMA. Undefeated in his last 14 fights, the Spaniard himself, Juan Atreleta. What's going on, man? How have you been? So, brother, good, man. Just, uh, you know, trying to become the best MMA fighter in the world. <laughs> Taking a lot of work. Right. <laughs> Where, are you calling us? The world. Where are you calling us from today? Are you down there working at a training lab with uh, TJ and Cub? Yeah, down here. I uh, just made the move to Anaheim from uh, the high desert. Uh, we start our gym started, uh, the training lab, uh, we got things going, Cub Swanson, TJ Dillashaw, myself, Dwayne Ludwig, Sam Calavita for strength and conditioning, and it's, it's going really well. Absolutely, man. Now, that was something I wanted to get to in a bit, you know, the, the gym and what he's doing to kind of revolutionize coaching, but the last time we had you on the show, you were going after the third title in King of the Cage, or it might have been right after winning the third title, either way. You were looking forward to making your way into a bigger promotion and conquering the sport, as you were just talking about. Tell us about the decision to sign with Bellator. Yeah, um, you know, I had I had my third third title fight that I won, and then um, you know, uh, it was coming up to the end of my contract with King of the Cage, and my last fight they wanted me to fight for the 160 title, and uh, so to make it four titles and you know accomplish that. And uh, the next step was to decide where to go, like um, UFC, Bellator. But uh, Joe Stevenson, who's my head coach, and I sat down and, you know, we just, the first step was to go out there and find the right management for us. Um, you know, someone that we were going to believe in, someone that was going to take control of the wheel and kind of direct us. And uh, we found Tiki Gosen, um, who, in my opinion, was my was uh, the best fit for me. And, um, you know, we just told him, we want to get get into whatever you think, whatever the next step is for us. And you know, he went out there and explored 
uh, both options and came to me with a Bellator contract that was very enticing and you know it, it made sense for us to go and you know so that that was the driving force behind signing with Bellator. So you are you aware or not aware if the UFC had made you an offer? Obviously Bellator being the better offer based on your management what you're saying of course but uh, was there an offer from the UFC? Yeah, there was an offer. They wanted me to fight on the, um, I believe it was the Charlotte card um, with the guy. Uh, we were actually, it was like very close between signing um, that fight and signing the fight that I fought in uh, Thackerville, Oklahoma, um, you know, because they were right around the same week. And, um, you know, it, it, from there from there, it was just negotiation, you know, like what's, what's going to uh, pay more, which is going to be best for me. And at the time and, and moment, um, you know, I think they, uh, my manager and my team and I, we, we came up with Bellator. So, yeah, it was it was a hard decision to make, you know, definitely leaning towards both, you know. Um, but definitely Bellator came stronger and came harder, and it, it made the most sense for us. Well, I'll tell you what, man, with all the people that we've seen leave the UFC, move over to Bellator, uh, it only makes sense to me. They, Like you said, they they made you the better offer. But, you know, since signing with Bellator, you've flown a little bit under the radar in terms of all the hype you had behind you last year. Are you happy uh, to kind of, you know, sit back and quietly make your way up the ranks, or would you prefer to have a spotlight? Absolutely. You know, I've I'm, I'm, um, definitely uh, been – um, feel like I'm overshadowed, but that's okay with me. You know, I, I, I know where I stand in the sport because I trained with one of the best MMA fighters, in my opinion, pound for pound in the world, which is TJ Dillashaw. And, uh, you know, having his coaching uh, driving force behind us with Dwayne Ludwig and Joe Daddy Stevenson as my head coach and, you know, the coaching that we have, I know where I stand in the sport. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to fly under the radar. It's, it's um, I've ha- I grew up from five older brothers that have wrestled and they always took the, you know, they always had more uh, accolades than I did. So right. I'm used to it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now you're set to compete later this month at Bellator 201 against uh, Robbie Peralta. Uh, how has your camp been so far and how excited are you to finally get back in there? Oh, I'm very excited. My uh, my last fight, um, you know, it was a late opponent change. Um, and, you know, Bellator had to find someone right away. And so it kind of, um, hampered my a little it didn't really hamper my performance but my train of thought uh, on you know your game planning and everything but it was about going in there having fun and I broke my hand in my in the, the beginning of the, uh, of the second round so you know that kind of derailed me from jumping right back into Bellator so I'm extremely excited to get back in there because you know my last fight I, I made history with the promotion on being the first fighter to you know I, I think um, one of the judges scored a 10 8 10 seven ten eight round and so you know to put a scorecard up like that was extremely uh or was was history in the making in its own you know for sure and that and that lends itself to the dominance that you've had outside of this organization uh but you know robbie's a ufc veteran uh he will also well you've already made your promotional debut but he will be making his promotional debut with bellator for this event give your give your give us your thoughts on uh, his skills and, and what he brings to the table as an opponent yeah, Robbie Peralta, you know, who's a banger. Uh, we know he hits hard. I've had a, a couple uh, teammates fight him, and they were like, man, he's very heavy-handed and relies on his power, you know. So um, I'm extremely excited for the matchup. The guy, like you said, is a UFC vet. You know, he, he's fought in strike force. He's fought in um, some big organizations, and, uh, you know, and he's got some wins in him. So I'm excited for the matchup. And, um, 
being to be able to showcase my my level of competition out there is just going to be another stepping stone to make some more noise for the for myself and for the promotion. Now you've come into Bellator as a featherweight, the champion, of course, being uh, Patricio Pitbull. Uh, how do you see the field of contenders, and, and who impresses you most in the Bellator 145 pound division? Yeah, it's an extreme um, packed division for sure. You know, my when signing upon um, Bellator, they were asking, you know, what weight did I want to go, and I told them, you know, I would love to go multiple weight classes, and uh, so we signed the first two. The first fight they wanted me to go 45, and this one 45, and then um, you know me personally, I want to go down and uh, and well I well I still can while well, my body will allow it um, to drop down to 35 and, and go for a title run there before I, I, I step in and start making a title contention at 145. Okay, so you know the last the last time we spoke, you would you had said that you want to become bigger than Conor McGregor, win three world titles against the best in the world a fourth world title as well. Uh, do you still plan on capturing multiple titles, you know, let's say within the next year or so, or are you, you're going to have to focus on 135 while you still can and then maybe move up gradually, 145, 155? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that'll be the ideal situation, you know. Um, you know, obviously, Connor you know, becoming, you know, the biggest thing in, in uh, entertainment uh, next to Floyd Mayweather is obviously, uh, you know, there's a possibility, but, you know, he just became uh, right. <laughs> a, a giant in the sport, you know. So, you know, back then it was like, you know, he was still making noise, um, but now, you know, to surpass that is, you know, it's, it's very hard to do. Um, right, right. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, in this sport now, just keep, keep being yourself and keep doing things that, you know, is going to make – make your mark in history, you know, um, you know, being young at that time, you know, and fresh to the sport, you're, you want to compare yourself to someone or like, um, LeBron James always ha- has, like, you know, Michael Jordan to chase, but, and, and, you know, so forth and Kobe and all that guy. And so that's, that, that was my mind. That's my mind state. So yeah, you know, just going in there, being myself, keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, keep capturing multiple titles in different division. I, I think it's gonna, it's gonna, um, put me amongst, other fighters, you know, right. Well, put you in the discussion for one of the best to ever do it, man. That's for sure. Yeah, um, pound for pound. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you feel like uh, Scott Coker recognizes your star potential? Is is he on board for this uh, this endeavor of capturing multiple titles? Yeah, you know, when you when you step into a, a new organization, I uh, whether if I went UFC or Bellator, um, there was going to be a proving ground. You know, there was going to be like, okay, how is this guy really going to perform under the bright lights? And when I went there, and I just, you know, all my years of uh, hours of training and years of training, uh, you know, martial arts in the short time I've done it, you know, it all showed that night. You know, and I was very fortunate to just be carefree, go out there, and just let my whole MMA realm just speak for itself, you know, and, um, he, I, I believe he it caught his eye. You know, I know, uh, Tiki after the fight, my manager goes was like, man, Scott came up and, um, they, they were just like, man, we never knew he was like this exciting, you know, cause I, I threw everything, you know, it was a mix from TJ Dillashaw to being unpredictable, like Cub Swanson to showing the control that Joe Stevenson had, you know, and it was just like every, all three of those styles became one that, and, and it was a good performance um, to start off the card. So he's definitely caught his eye, and he—I'm I'm sure he's definitely excited to see where I, I take um, where I stand at in the organization. Awesome, man! Awesome. So when you look at the the three potential champions that you could face, 
obviously you need to get through this fight first and, and then continue on, but uh, which is the toughest fight for you in your opinion? Would it be Patricio, uh, Primus, or Caldwell? Man, uh, I would honestly say uh, uh, Caldwell. You know, um, he he comes with a with a great wrestling background as myself, and I feel like that's my strong suit. You know, um, when going against Darian, it's gonna have to be. Um, you know, I'm gonna leave it up to Dwayne and um, and Joe Stevenson to game plan for it, and Tiki Gosen. But um, I feel for me, for my style, it's gonna be uh, you know Caldwell, Patricio. You know, there, there's ways around um, uh, going against a power hitter. You know making a move making his feet move and having them swing for the fences is is what i want you know but keeping keeping fast and keeping the the high pace output will wear him down you know a guy like brett uh premise you gotta watch those low calf kicks and you know it's just like a lot of a lot of level changes a lot of um a lot of switch dance i think will will offset his uh his power on the low on the low kicks so realistically for you you get through this fight later this month. How quickly do you get back in there? Is it at 135? And, and how long do you think it takes you to get that title shot? Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, God willing, I go through and, and, and I, I stay injury free this fight. You know, I, I love to turn around and jump on the next card or jump, jump on something. You know, I, uh, when they asked me how many times do you want to fight this year? And I told them eight and they kind of laughed it off. And I was like, no, no I'm serious. I'm going to fight <laughs> this year, you know, and it's just like, that's just, you know, re- growing up wrestling, we wrestled every weekend. So to take a couple months off isn't, isn't for me, you know? So, you know, I love to jump back in there as soon as can, as I can, you know, TJ and Cub have a, have huge fights coming up in LA in August. And so I'll, I'll, I'll turn around and jump right back in camp, you know, uh, God willing, everything's um, healthy and, and, you know, love to get back in there and see uh, belt around my waist, you know, by the end of this year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, TJ and Cub both fighting around the same time. Uh, I actually talked to TJ about that, you know, the benefits of having Cub in camp with him. And, you know, he said that you guys have, have this incredible uh, uh, chemistry. You all work really well together. So I can only imagine how beneficial it would be for you to also be involved in that training camp getting ready for another fight. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, it's like we never jump out of camp either. Like our, you know, people. <laughs> it's funny because by far they're one of the best training partners I've had, and you know, my career of wrestling and to date right now with MMA has been um, TJ is because his 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 tenacity and his his driving force that drives him is the same thing that drives me you know we go out there we we, we're there to drill put repetition in and and give each other the same look you know and uh, make sure we're not just being bad partners but we're being good partners on giving them the the real realistic feel so it's been a huge he's had a huge impact in my in my um my MMA career as far as uh, elevating my game, you know, and same thing with Cub. It's you go in there and you know the unpredictability that's going to happen with him when you're training, so you have to be aware and be able to keep pace with them. So it's awesome, man. It's a blessing. Right. Irons, iron sharpens iron, as they always say. Yeah, absolutely. True, true. So listen, you were you were talking about how uh, you just moved down there. They're, you know, they've started this gym officially. Uh, something I wanted to talk about, like I mentioned earlier, was, uh, you know, what I think TJ's doing here and, and how cool it is that, you know, he might be able to change the game when it comes to coaching. And uh, like he was trying to break down the model for me in regards to pay and how they're not going to sign anybody into these ridiculous contracts. And it's all about the training, all about the athlete. So um, that being said, man, 
how much of a benefit has it been for you to be a part of that? And do you think he'll be able to revolutionize uh, the you know the way coaching's done going forward? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's um you know something that that the the vision of having um a, a pro team it, uh, is the way that it should be ran. You know these guys that are that play for a pro basketball team, hockey team, football team. You know they don't have to go in there and worry about you know my salary is going to have to have have to pay for this coach's salary. You know it's going to be you know something that is just non-said and you just go there you show up like a like a professional athlete you train your butt off you do all the right things outside of the gym um you know you carry yourself with class and um you know and if you don't then you're off the team you know and and it's it's definitely going to keep your training partners uh safe and want to be there and um you know it's definitely going to revolutionize the way gyms are going to be ran and the way coaching is going to be ran yeah, like I said, I, I think that once he first started explaining it to me, I was I was very intrigued because you know all the stuff you went through with Alpha Male and you hear horror stories of some of these other teams and stuff that these guys go through. Uh, so v- very cool stuff in that regard. But both TJ and Cub have spoken very highly of you in the past. TJ in particular ha- has spoke to me personally, and if I'm not mistaken, Dwayne as well. Uh, TJ said it's just a matter of time before you get that recognition that you deserve. I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yeah, you know, and it's just keeping your head down, staying in your lane, and, and putting hard work in. You know, there's nothing replaces hard work, and as long as you're putting in the time and, and, and the miles, and you're putting in the smart time as well, where you could, uh, that's where our strength and conditioning coach comes into play, that we're not just going out there and beating the body down until it can't move no more. It's scientifically thought out where, you know, these days we're going hard, these days we recover, these days we go back at it, these days we go light, that way we have longevity in the sport and you know we never show up at the end of the week and we're like oh man we got to be at practice again it's like heck yeah let's let's put the gloves on let's train hard again become the best martial artist out there and you know show respect that that's one of those things that we're hearing more and more now right is that you need to know when to turn it off when to slow down and that's more beneficial than going hard all the time yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially coming from a Neanderthal sport like wrestling, where it's just like grind, grind, grind. You know, well they they come up with that saying, "Embrace the grind," because that's the wrestling mentality. But now it's just like we we don't need to do that no more. You know, there's there's times to go hard, and there's times to learn technique, and there's days to take off. You know, uh, that the body needs to rejuvenate. You know, the cells need to to revamp. They need to. Uh, repair themselves and the body needs to be 100% complete because if not you end up with injuries having to pull out from fights you know so I think I've done a great job on on knowing when to pull off I mean in the four and a half years uh, that I've been fighting I have 20 fights you know I'm I'm 19 and 1 now and um, you know and I look at my record compared to some of these other guys that I've that are that are been longer in the sport and I, I have just as many um um fights as they do you know so you look at my fight and people are like oh yeah he's a vet and i'm like man i've only been fighting for four and a half years and so it's cool to see you know that i'm doing the right things my body has longevity and now jumping up into the um to the organizations like bellator you know and then be competing against some of the best in the world you know i can't wait for it to show for sure, man, for sure. And uh, real quick with TJ, obviously you're going to pick your teammate, but give us your thoughts on the rematch between him and Cody. Yeah, you know, I, I think 
T, uh, you know, if I even if I if I wasn't um, training with TJ, when you see when you see um, TJ's past um, uh, fights, he always does better on rematches against opponents. You know, uh, he he came back and just dismantled uh, Barrow the second fight. You know the. The first one, he was. It took him some time to find find his range, find his, uh, you know, his flow. And when he did, he turned it up on him. And the, the second fight, it wasn't even a comparison. You know, he just took his soul from him. Right. And uh, you know, and then some guys that he trains with before, like Joe Soto. You know, he went in that fight, and then the fifth round, you know, taking it on a, a, a twenty-two hour notice. And then you're like, okay, I got a game plan. And then you see him go in there, find his range in the fifth round, and another guy that he just took his soul from and, and just dismantled him in the fifth. round and he wasn't the same after you know so tj does better and has more confidence going into second fights you know um cody's fast you know you definitely got to watch out jumping in there on combinations and and leaving your guard down because he does have that quick twitch with his upper body um but you know i know i know you know these guys are are, are prepared for it and uh you know i think it's gonna i i honestly think it's going to be another like like Burrell was on the second fight for me yeah so o- only only improvements more adjustments made and an even more dominant finish is what you're saying I, yeah i believe so now just to stay on teammates here for a moment you know you mentioned joe daddy stevenson cobra kai dominic reyes man that kid is a killer he's got a ton of potential uh you know give us your thoughts on his career so far what do you think is next for him and uh you know the, working with him if you do get a chance to yeah i mean Dominic as well comes from um, a, a big family um, whose brothers, you know, his brother Alex fights for the UFC as well. Um, he fought Mike Perry in London in a, you know, a short notice, so Alex didn't really get to prepare for that uh, too much. But um, so he, he comes, he's in the same position like I am. You know, he's always been overshadowed by his older brother. He's a great athlete, but man, his his uh, his fighting style speaks for itself. It does knockouts and just being an athlete overall and um, big things coming his way. You know, he's he hopefully gets a crack at a, a top ten guy, and um, I know he wanted to fight the guy that's. Been um, talking mess to him for a while, and uh, when he was in, um, I think LFA, he said, "Oh yeah, but he's in the LFA." But uh, I forget the guy's name, but he called him out. But he was like, "Yeah, man, now I'm in the UFC. You're undefeated. I'm undefeated. Let's let's put it to the test, you know, and see right. who walks with the with the with the O behind the win." So yeah, I think, I think it was he, Jordan Johnson. Was he who he called out? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that was, that was him. But I think he's the next biggest thing for 205. You know, I um, definitely don't sleep on him. You know, he's he's going to uh, – I know he'll be top five by the end of the year. For sure, for sure. I've had the opportunity to speak with him a few times. And like you said, a uh, ton of potential, just like yourself, man. It's like one of those things. You see all of these killers working in a gym together, working in the room together, and they're all such a high level. And, again, that lends itself to working together. Uh, but listen, Juan, you've been more than generous with your time, man. Just a couple more questions here for you. Uh, I no worries. Getting back to June 29th, how do you see this fight playing out? How does it end, in your opinion? In my opinion, I, I, for me, I train so hard for every fight. You know, putting in the reps. I love going. I love going long, long the whole distance of a fight. I love to go out there and put on 15 minutes of a show, you know, and just breaking my opponent down, uh, breaking his will to fight and just taking advantage of this, the, the situations I put myself in, you know, and, um, and that's what I, I, I look to do. I look for pure dominant dominance where there's no doubt in, in the crowd and the judges that I won the fight and that the opponent won't want to rematch. You know, I look to, 
in the fight on ground and pound, absolutely. Um, you know, some big shots land. Uh, I've been working a lot with Dwayne Ludwig lately to get more pops and more snaps in my kicks. And, uh, you know, if it, if it ends great um, early, awesome. But uh, if it doesn't, I'm going to look to go in there and keep wearing them down and, you know, just take take technique out of the window and, and just see who has the biggest balls and go out there and just fight, you know, make it a fight. And for the rest of 2018, you know, you talk about the plan, you want to drop down to 135, hopefully capture that title. But realistically, man, I know you told Bellator you wanted to fight eight times. How many times are you going to fight this year? Man, I hope I could jump back right right back in July or August. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on uh, my four-fight deal with them, so just keep working, you know. And uh, any opportunity that comes to take a fight, I'm going to take a fight. So, like I said, hopefully from now, hopefully another five more times will, will be awesome to fight. <laughs> you are you are intense man I, I give you a ton of credit that is incredibly ambitious uh but again hopefully hopefully we can see you get the 135 pound fight maybe challenge for the title um again man always a pleasure to speak with you very yeah, much looking forward to the ne- this next fight uh you truly are a superstar in the making any uh sp- any shout outs or sponsor plugs before we let you go and let everybody know where they can find you on social media yeah, absolutely. My social media is JRHMMA. Um, you know, I got my website, JRHMMA.com. You can go and order some t-shirts. Also, big shout out to Kingston Coffee. They, they help all of us and sponsor the gym really well. The training lab, Steve Martin with Legacy Builders. He's the one that helped um, get the gym prepared for us. And, uh, you know, so huge shout out to Steve Martin because without him, the training lab wouldn't be anything. You know, Sam Calavita, who's up for trainer of the year, as he should be. He's revolutionizing the game and the way we train. Um, Dwayne Ludwig, who's one of our coaches, you know, big shout out to him. He's up for coach of the year as well. So if you haven't yet, please go vote for those guys on Fighters Only uh, magazine, as well as Joe Daddy Stevenson, Tiki Gosim, my managers, Elite Sports. Um, you know, just everyone that's been with me lately and uh, continue to show their support and, uh, you know, signing with boost mobile um you know virus that who as well sponsors the gym uh you know and um i, I believe uh snyder services they, they always have my back on and, and helping me out accomplish my dreams and sponsoring me so any other sponsors that i left out i apologize but i do appreciate all you guys and my wife and my kids and my parents and brothers and sister that uh support my, this journey and um you know to all the fans that come to the fights thank you guys pre-order your your shirts for my fight coming up on june 29th and uh thank you guys bj pin for taking the time to reaching out to me and having me on you guys show it's awesome i always listen to it and it's always one of my favorite shows uh to listen to while i'm driving so uh, i appreciate the content i appreciate you guys always um pumping up the sport the world of mixed martial arts you guys are awesome wow man i gotta tell you first off big thank you for saying all that nice stuff about us but i would say you did not forget anybody in the sponsor list there man (laughs) (laughs) i know it's just always a thing like man i I hope i hit everyone because you know a lot of people don't know what goes behind um us as athletes you know they they think they only see the high and glamour stuff and and the dollar signs but honestly it's those guys that help us out through tough times yeah yeah man in between those paychecks in between those fight paychecks man it's it it's important to have those sponsors uh, but real quick, you know, you talked about how Dwayne and Sam are up for trainer of the year for you guys at the training lab. How, what do you do? Do you not vote? Yeah, no, we, we, we voted. We've been uh, pumping it up on our social media, you know, and um, we're trying to get them, you know, it's just more recognition for uh, who we, what they're doing, what we're building here in SoCal and uh, what we're 
that were revolutionizing the game. You know, Joanne Ludwig's always, in my opinion, is one of the best mixed martial arts stand-up coach in the world. And, um, you know, he's he knows the game inside out because he's done it. You know, Sam Calavita, he's the training that he's done, the the lives he's impact on nutrition and, um, you know, the, the right supplementation because, you know, a lot of stuff's contaminated and, um, you know, it actually weakens the body. And he you know, he spends countless hours on trying to fix the body the way God intended it to be. And, um, you know, you'll never uh, come across one of the training um, um, lab athletes that train under him personally pop for a test because, you know, we're, we're as healthy as can be. Yeah, no, I just found it interesting that they're both up for nominate. You know, they're both nominated, and for you guys, it's like I think w- are you only about allowed to vote once per account? Is that how that works? Yeah, you got to have uh, email accounts, so um, you right. sign up your email and you just go and you vote, and then you only get one vote. So. <laughs> Tough decisions for you guys at the at the gym there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, but uh, oh no no okay so. I see what you're saying. So Sam, he's up for trainer of the year. Uh, that's for like your strength and conditioning stuff. And then Dwayne Ludwig's up for coach of the year. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, I had that mixed up there. Yeah, yeah, my bad. I was like, oh wait, no, we we get the vote for both of them. Uh, I was, no, was going to say you guys had a dilemma. You guys had yeah, quite the no, dilemma. No, my bad. <laughs> no, no problem, man. All right, listen again. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I, I appreciate all the love you gave the show. It's really nice to hear that from a guy like yourself. So uh, next time. We'll catch up again soon, hopefully maybe right after a big win on uh, June 29th, Bellator 201, and I look forward to all the future has in store for you, my friend. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, brother. Have a good day. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. How cool is that, guys? Juan Archuleta listens to every show. Much love, brother. I hope you're listening to this one as well. I'm sure you are, given that you're in it, but man, I can't thank you enough. Very much looking forward to the fight. And to all the fans out there, make sure you follow him. Get on board now because he is the future of the sport as well. We talked to a lot of up-and-coming prospects, guys with a lot of potential in this sport. Juan is one of those guys that truly stands out amongst all those athletes. But let's press forward. We'll keep it rolling here at BJPenn.com Radio, the fighter's voice. Coming up next, another multiple-weight world champion, one FC champion, Really cool dude and one hell of a fighter, Martin Nguyen. All right, Penn Nation, please welcome back to the show the defending featherweight and lightweight title holder for one championship. Coming off his first defense of the featherweight strap, the situation himself, Martin Nguyen. What's up, Martin? How was life down under this morning, man? Uh, life down under is good, man. Um, a bit cold at the moment, but you know what? Um, it's it's a good change from the hot Singapore we just in. Right, humidity. How how cold does it get down there? For uh, you guys are in winter time right now, right? Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, it's about ten thirty a.m. and it's about ten degrees. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. I'd say that's pretty cool. It's cold as. And listen, man. I know let- it gets cold. Much, much more cold over there, but to us it's very cold. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm from uh, I'm from New England. We get a lot of snow up here, and uh, we're going into summer now. And I tell you, I much prefer the mild days of, of spring and fall. That is for sure. hundred percent, man. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. I, I like I said. I know the PR staff at one. You know, they went through the ringer trying to set up this interview. So I do greatly appreciate you coming on in the morning with us. Uh, let's waste no time. 
You're just over uh, a week removed from your first successful title defense against Christian Lee at One Unstoppable Dreams. First up, man, how happy are you to defend the belt? Look, um, it's 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 every fighter's dream, you know. Um, this is this is all about building on the legacy that I'm I'm, I'm about to leave. So, um, the defense is all part of the journey. Um, whoever steps up to the occasion to beat the champion, you got to take out the champion. And um, look, throughout this whole um, time that I'm going to be now holding on to these titles, it's all about defenses. I was going to say, I know you were very unhappy with your performance post-fight. Uh, but before we get to that, man, give me your thoughts on Christian. You know, obviously he went in there motivated. He clearly made some adjustments from the first fight. Uh, it was back and forth throughout. Was there anything he did in there that surprised you? Look, to be honest, um, no. I, I've been watching him since our first fight. And um, seeing, I mean, the, fir- the first fight finished in the first round. And as, as per himself, it was a strategical error. Um, they just didn't know what they brought to the table or what I was going to bring to the table. The second time around, we felt each other. We know each other's powers. We know each other's skills. We've been watching each other. Um, in terms of evolving as martial artists, um, I'm sure we both has we both have evolved um, a lot. And compared to our first fight, I mean, it's, it's two new fighters going into a fight. So everything that Christian brought um, into that cage the, the second time around, I wasn't surprised. Um, it's just a matter of readjusting and you know going going with the flow. Absolutely. Now the jab looked good. Those those kicks to the leg they were landing for you. He seemed to be rushing in and with some wild strikes to try to set up that takedown. Then the yellow card happens in the third round for stalling. What was that about, man? It seemed pretty ridiculous to me. Dude, it was frustrating as man. Like, look, all throughout fight week, I was getting, I was getting, like, I was reading messages. I was reading. Watching videos that he's been posting, and all all media guys have been posting, um, he's gonna be this young lion. He's not gonna take any chances like what Bibiana did. He's gonna come out all guns blazing, ready to finish me. At the press conference, it was the same thing. He's gonna finish me. I was like, yes, I got a fight. I got someone bringing a fight to me. This is what I love. And um, it was a complete opposite, man. Like I I was coming forward. I was putting the pressure. Um, it's up to the challenger to take out the champion, you know, bring what you got to be the champion, you must take me out. And in that fight, after the first round, um, when I figured out his game plan, I think everything started to go south for him. Nothing was working out. His takedowns weren't working. He was trying wild strikes and, you know, trying to set that out, shooting from a mile away. It was it was all out of desperate reality, you know. Um, and now it wasn't working for him. And when it came to that third round, um, I was I was pushing the pace. Yuji was telling me, "Keep coming forward, keep coming." Forward. I was after me. I'll come forward. I've got more to lose if I throw a wild strike and he catches me. I, I lost my title, you know. So I was coming forward. I was waiting for him to strike, and he kept circling out, man. And it was frustrating chasing the guy all fight. And um, when it came to that yellow card, I was I was frustrated. I did what Yuji told me to do, and he still gave me a yellow card. So it is what it is. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like you said, I mean, you're the champ. If the if there's a lack of action, shouldn't that be that should be on the challenger, right? Correct. Yeah, it's like it's like me versing, um, say, Edward or me versing Murat. We, it was nonstop action. We kept pushing the pace. We kept going in, and everything was happening. It's up to the challenger to bring it to the champion, and to be the champion, you must take out the champion, regardless. No, none of these um, decisions and all that stuff. But it is what it is. Um, I had to go that way, and I'm sure 
he was disappointed in his performance. He he let a um, once in a lifetime opportunity slip through his hands, and you know, I, 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 I win or win a um, win a decision or win by a knockout, I win. Definitely, for definitely. me, but so uh, I love it. A W, and it's time to move on. Right, right. You got the win. You put him. You put it. You really put it to him in the fourth and fifth round. Possibly could have finished him with the leg kicks. Uh, one, one or two more leg kicks in the fifth. But you know, after the yellow card and uh, when the judges said that they had scored, one judge had scored it for Lee. Did you get nervous at all? Dude, I was like, no way, they're gonna rob me again. <laughs> with that Viviano fight, I was like, damn, I'm gonna get robbed. I can't have these freaking judges' decisions anymore, man. I'm like, it's so nerve wracking and. Like going twice in a row now. I think my coach was telling me that his hair's going white by the minute and he's over it. So yeah, finish it, finish it decisively, and you know what? We'll go home with our payday, and it is what it is, and then on to, on to the next one. But um, these decisions, man, like you can't, I, I can't do it no more, man. It's so nerve wracking. <laughs> you know? Well, right, just just more motivation to go out there and and uh, really finish a guy. But at the same time. When you're defending the title, man, it shouldn't be up to you to have to push that pace. So, again, everything. I know, I know. exactly like that, man. I got, my, I got a lot more to risk, but I say I think when you think of it, taking that risk is better than a judge's decision. You might get robbed at the end of the day, you know. Definitely, definitely, man. And at the end of the day, that just lends itself to the fact of uh, you know what kind of fighter you are. That even uh, that you, sh- in theory, shouldn't have to take these risks. You're willing to do so anyway. But, dude, listen, I gotta ask you, man. How, how cool, cool is it, it to be presented, presented the, belt the belt by Michael, Michael Phelps? Phelps? Dude, that was the, that was like the first time ever I met Michael. Um, it was just, um, you know, I, was, I didn't know what to say. I was like, "Oh my god, how tall are you?" In my head, I was like, <laughs> "I was meant to." I, was like, oh, I didn't realize how tall you were. And then, yeah, just watch, watching him, watching the Olympics and everything back in the day. Um, used to watch him as well so it, it, was, it was i was i was starstruck you know and he was just telling me like dude you gotta carry this i was like yeah he goes, it's so heavy i was like man i gotta carry two of these <laughs> and he was talking he was, he was talking related to the belt yeah these are so heavy i was like yeah they are they're about seven seven kilos of belt i'm gonna carry two of them everywhere i go so wow um, he was like man good work that that's crazy for a guy who has so many medals, and you've seen those pictures with him holding them all. He's saying that your belt belt's heavier. That's got to feel pretty cool. I know, yeah, <laughs> but I, I couldn't believe how tall. Like, I thought, oh, yeah, Michael Phelps is. Yeah, he's a pretty tall guy. But when I stood next to him, I was like, dude, you're freaking tall. You're so tall. <laughs> oh my god. So you didn't? Did you get a chance to interact with him or hang out after the fight at all, or was it just that interaction in the cage? Yeah, it was just that interaction in the cage. I, um, afterwards, I was, I mean, one championship have kept kept me so busy, you know, so right. as soon as I got back into the change room, I, I just um, I put ice on the eye. Uh, he caught me in the last 20 seconds and then blew up. Um, so I just put ice on the eye, went down a bit, and I had a shower. We just hung out um, in the change room, just had a feed, and then straight after Angela fight, it was straight to work. We had to do post-media. Right. Um, and yeah, it was just, yeah. <laughs> Just, just, just the, the fighter's life, the fighter, what, what we have to do, it's all part of the contract. Absolutely, man. But again, really cool moment for MMA, in my humble opinion. I, I think that's one that we'll all look back on and say that that was one of those special moments in mixed martial arts. But looking ahead now, man, you said you want Shinya Aoki next, if it's at lightweight, and you want Bibiano in July, for, or possibly an interim title. Uh, first with Shinya, man, uh, do you think that fight will actually happen? 
Look, um, uh, Shinny is the only guy that won that night decisively. Um, in terms of Edward coming back, he he won. He won decisively, but he went to a decision. He didn't take out his um opponent um as what I'd think he would. But um, yeah, he, he he's doing well. He's coming back. Um, I think another fight or two, Edward would deserve the title shot. Um, in terms of Shinya, look, he, he he he's put in the time. So whatever whatever win he, he that happens for him, he wins decisively. He wins. Look, that fight against the um the Russian Russell Yakiev, he submitted him. Man, Yakiev's not a he's not a champ. He took out Shannon Wirichai. He was on a four five fight winning streak whatever it was, and he took out some decent guys. And Yakiev, man, he dominated um, Shannon. So when it came to Shinya, um, the stand-up battle, it was it was more Yakiev tagging Shinya, but Shinya just, man, the experience and his grappling is just way too good. And he won um, decisively, um, first round submission. Um, look, in this in this MMA fight game, I only want to fight the best. Um, it's all about other... To have a name like Shinya on my re- resume, it's, I mean, it's only an honour, you know. I, as I said, I used to watch um, uh, Shinya growing up and, you know, just, just his wizardry um, submissions, man, it's, it's fun. <laughs> Dude. Dude, you're literally taking my next question, all the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, he, he's a legend of the sport. He'd be a huge win for your resume. Uh, and, and with the wizardry of the submissions, that was literally the wording I wrote down here. Uh, but uh, all of that all of that aside, man, what, what do you think about how you guys match up stylistically? Um, stylistically, I, I think it will be a good match. Be that, that grappler versus the striker. Um, but uh, a lot of people underestimate my ground game, so... Um, I think I'm in for a, a surprise for everyone. Um, but in terms of um, fighting Shinya, man, it would only be an honor. He's like one of the world's best and um, one of the most elite athletes out there, you know. So um, it will be an honor to be coming up against Shinya. And in regards to legacy, this would be a big legacy fight for you. You, you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Shinya, he, he's, been, he's been in the sport since near day one, you know. He's, he's taken out big names. Um, in terms of my legacy, it's I only want to fight the best guys, man. And Shinny is top of the top of the ranks when it comes to these guys, regardless of you know, all these up and comers who, who deem themselves number one contenders. Number one contenders. Um, look, in terms of Shinya Yoki, he's, he's he's done his time. All he needs is one one successful victory, and he and he's number one contender. You know. <laughs> right. But, right. Um, yeah. I, Fighting someone like Shinya, it only builds on to the legacy that I'm building. Now, with Bibiano, as we were talking about before, it sounds to me like you're very adamant about getting that, that second fight, fighting for that third title. You want that rematch with Bibiano. Oh, yeah. Bibiano, um, that, that split decision, we could have gone evil. Eh? And if I were champion um, and I had... Uh, just won by a split decision and it wasn't decisively enough, then I'd give the guy a minute rematch, man, to take him out um, decisively and prove that I am the most the most dominant world champion, you know? Um, but that, that's me in my position. But in terms of Bibiano, look, a win's a win for him. Um, I'm sure he, he'll be looking to move forward, but I'll be gunning for that title no matter what. Um, that's a title that I'm going to be um, finishing my career in and... Um, you know, looking, looking, and 
setting a new goal and winning that title. It's only um, unleashing new beasts. So, um, I can't wait. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that before. You said that you wanted to finish your career at 135. Is that correct? Yes, definitely is. Yeah, I feel, I feel that, like, although although I hit that that part of um, 135, um, I feel that I, I'm much stronger, much faster um, in that division, and um, yeah, I, I feel that fighting one championship, I can be as dominant as Bibiano when it comes to um, 135 division. Now, do you think you'll be able to get one of those fights in July? I know you said you wanted to fight in July. And uh, do you think you'll be able to get that fight in July and maybe defend one of the belts one more time before the year ends? Uh, look, man, in terms of lightweight fight, um, I'm, I'm going to be defending that belt no matter what. Um, but in terms of the, the bantamweight, uh, versus Bibiano, he that is injured, he's out. Um, but yeah, I'll fight. I'll fight number one contender if I have to, man. This is 135. I've already, I've already started cutting weight. I'm down to 69 kilos. Um, man, I'm only about two and a half, three kilos off that division. Um, weight, so I can't, I can't wait, man. So at this point, it's it's whoever agrees to to, to take the fight, signs on the dotted line. That's who you're going to compete against. Well, yeah, I'm sure Bibiano. Um, Bellingham will, will sign in that line no matter what because uh, having a, a name like myself on his resume only, only bumps his career up dramatically, you know. So um, I'm sure um, Bellingham will sign that uh, that contract no matter what. But in terms of Bibiano, um, I'm sure he would want to fight me at his 100% best. So um, I don't expect him to. Okay. And uh, moving on from there, changing gears for a moment. Uh, as we talked about, the One app is really awesome. Uh, I think it was a very smart move. Opens up the viewership and the exposure for you guys tremendously. I'm sure you'd agree. Talk to us a bit about the uh, tremendous expansion of exposure that you get through the one app that they uh, released before your last fight. Yeah, so um, prior prior to the app, it was only um, it was only broadcast in so many countries uh, all across Asia. Um, but now that one championship have released this one super app, it's it's created a platform for our spiders to expose ourselves not only throughout Asia where the company is based, but around the world. And not only um, does everyone get to watch it, it also sends out a reminder of when an, an event is about to start, that everyone will get a notification on their phone, um, regardless of the time time zone difference. You know, you'll get a notification there you'll be able to tune in and watch the event live and all for free, you know. So um, what One Championship has done um, in creating that platform for us fighters, uh, we're forever grateful and, uh, you know, it's the next step in um, exposure. So Yeah, the, the stream's flawless, very cool app, and uh, with such a power, powerful distribution tool, uh, do you think guys like yourself will be getting a lot more love from the Western fans and the Western media? Uh, talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, so um, I think that's where I lack the most is you have that Western um, Western exposure. And now that we have this admin, I, I, I can finally say to, to everyone that always asks me when my fights are going to be on, yeah, you'll get a notification, download this app. Right. Um, you'll be able to watch me and you know, follow my career. And not only does the app only show the fights, but it shows the, the, it's like the embedded series all the way up into the fights and you know, the, the lead-up of the fights, the announcements, the fight cards, the next fight cards uh, after that. And, yeah, it's, a, it's all in one, so it's, it's pretty good. Right, all in one for the one super app. <laughs> in 
did. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, again, I, I sincerely hope that it does. Uh, you know, the sport knows no boundaries, and, and, and there's so many talented guys all over the world. Uh, but that being said, in a perfect world, top promotions, if they were willing to co-promote, who would you most like to fight from any promotion if you were able to handpick them? Um, top three guys I'd like to fight uh, would would be one of the guys that I love to watch the most, you know, the most exciting fighters, which is um, Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw, and Dominic Cruz. Um, and they're, they're, they're legends of the sport. They're the most dominant at the moment. And um, it's only, as I said, I don't want to test myself against the best. And if it came to co promotion um, the super fights, those are the three guys that I'd be looking forward to fighting. Who, uh, who are you picking uh, between Cody and TJ in the rematch? I think um, Cody will be a bit more, bit more wiser. But, um, yeah, it's hard to say, man. These guys, they got knockout power. They're, they're so smart when it comes to fighting. I know that, um, that last time that they fought, Cody got um, caught a couple of times. But, you know, in the first round, if they had got another 10 seconds, um, Dillashaw would have been finished, you know. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to pick, but in terms of... Um, uh, uh, Skill-wise and strategical-wise, I'm thinking um, I, I, I'm going to go with Cody on this one because he's got the team behind him, you know. But um, it's hard to say. It's hard to count out Dillashaw. Well, it's one of those instances where this this fight game is all about inches, and, and that first fight was certainly uh, could have gone either way, like all you said. Inches. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, man, that first fight was just exciting. I can't wait for the second fight. Now you mentioned those three guys. If uh, when you look at their styles, which guy do you think would pose the most problems for you, or maybe be the most interesting puzzle to uh, to solve? Um, the most interesting puzzle to solve, I'd say, would be Dominic Cruz. His movements, um, his strikes, the level of power. You, you stand and strike with him, the guy will take you down. Like he's, he's all over the place. Um, so I, I, I think. Um, Dominic Cruz would be the would be the hardest one to take out. Um, but in saying that, I mean, Cody Garrett, what he done to Dominic and that no one else has has done, you know, it's it's pretty scary. So um, I, I'm leaning towards I'm leaning towards Dominic Cruz would be the hardest to take on. But um, in terms of saying that Cody Garrett can surprise anyone. True, true. I would personally love to see you fight Jose Aldo. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Aldo. I've been watching him since I was growing up, man. He's a killer. Um, that'll be a good fight. Um, I'm sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're the same height, too. So in terms of height, uh, there's no problem there. But, yeah, Mr. Aldo um, will be a fun fight. Right. Well, I, I know you're mentioning bantamweight, guys, but for immediately for me, just like styles and, like you said, size, uh, I know that's a featherweight fight, but but that's the one that immediately popped into my head. Yeah, I've, um, as I said, man, I've, I grew up watching Jose Aldo, man, and he's a straight beast, straight killer. Um, I don't think he has that, that that killer instinct of what he did when he was fighting a few years ago, but um, you know, he's, you can never count him out. He, can, he, can, he comes back out of nowhere and you know, takes a few victories up his dogs. But um, I think at the moment, Jose Aldo is um, out of his peak, but I'll, I'll fight him out of his peak. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a it's another example of one of those fights for legacy, right? Yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Any any big names, any guys that have been in the sport forever, um, 
man, they, those are the guys that I want to test myself against. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's all about building on to my legacy and you know, testing my skills against the best. Well, I definitely hope that that day where promotions are willing to, to co-promote with each other and uh, there's a little more options for you guys, all of you athletes. I hope that that day comes sooner rather than later because we're all missing out on so many tremendous fights that could possibly happen and really show who is the best across the world. No, you're right. It's, it's all these contracts that binds us into the, these, these individual companies. You know? But um, to, to co-promote and you know, to work, to each other, work with each other and let the, fighters, the best fighters fight, man. That's, what we, that's all we want to do, you know. So... Um, Get paid at the end of the day, fight the best, show the world that who's the best, and yeah, if only one day it can happen, and we'll, I think, not only they will be happy, the fighters will be happy as well, so, definitely. Right, right, fans, the fans would be happy, the promotions would make money, and of course you guys would truly be able to test your skills against anybody on the globe. I agree with you, man. I hope that that day comes soon. But uh, you've been more than generous with your time. As always, my friend, we greatly appreciate it. In conclusion, tell all the fans out there what they can expect when you get back into action. And uh, feel free to encourage Bibiano or Shinya to take the fight against you. <laughs> um, I'll definitely see a new, a, a new style of modern. Uh, I know these, these guys have been studying my latest styles and yeah, they've been playing safe and it's comes like a chess match and not everyone wants to see a chess match, you know, so um, I'm, I, I'm manipulating my own skills to manipulate my opponent, if, if that makes sense, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next fight if, if it plays off or not, but in terms of um, Bibiana, if you're really injured, man, um, I hope you get better soon, uh, I hope you get well so we can, we can have this this deciding fight, you know, who is the who is the, who is the better champion, who is the, um, the most dominant champion, um, but in terms of Shinya, man, it's, I only want to fight the best. And yeah, he Shinya's got a fight coming up. Um, he wins this then decisively. And you know what? It's the end of your showdown. That's a guarantee. I wouldn't fight anyone else um, but Shinya. So we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Well, either matchup is truly exciting. Definitely looking forward to your next fight. Again, always a pleasure to speak with you. Any shout-outs or sponsor plugs you want to get in before we let you go, man? Yeah, there's a few, um, few sponsors that have been looking after me. Southern Sports Club, uh, Fighters Against Child Abuse Australia, Century uh, Martial Arts Suppliers in Australia. Um, you also got Six Degrees, uh, New Age Physio, New Age Physiotherapy, um, and um, Muscle Mills Direct. So those guys have been helping me get on point um, since that year, even years before, even when I first started my career. So um, I'm thankful to have those guys support me. All right, cool, man. Again, I, I hope that a uh, fight gets announced soon. We we love to see you back in action, hopefully in July as you're planning, and uh, we'll catch up again once that time comes. Again, greatly appreciate it, dude. You have a wonderful day, man. Thank you, Jason. Have a good day, bro. All right, you too, buddy. First of all, how cool would it be to see Martin fight Shinya Aoki? And if we could just get past this promotion bullshit, maybe we could see Martin fight a Dominic Cruz, a TJ Dillashaw. Incredibly talented guy. He's got a huge following in Asia and all over the world for that matter. Always a pleasure to speak with him. Very much looking forward to the next fight. I hope it is Shinya or possibly Bibiano. We'll catch up with him again soon. Let's keep it moving. Let's wrap things up. Closing out tonight's show. 
UFC welterweight, Versace model, fan favorite as I said earlier. This is BJPenn.com Radio, the fighter's voice. Coming up next, the Brahma himself, Alan Joban. Penn Nation, please welcome back to the show, UFC welterweight and good friend of BJPenn.com Radio, the Brahma himself, Alan Joban. What's the good word, Alan? How have you been, brother? Uh, things are good, man. The good word would be that uh, my foot is healed up from my last fight. I have been uh, training my ass off, and uh, I'm looking forward to this next matchup in Germany. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know we discussed the foot briefly, but you know, tell us about the rehab process. How long did that all take? You know, it took a couple months. I had uh, like four broken bones in the foot from the last fight, so... Uh, you know, the doctor booted me up right away. I was in the boot for for uh, a couple of months. And then uh, after that, there was still kind of a uh, slow process of um, just letting letting the bones heal. Even when the, the break in the foot is done, obviously we don't have a normal job. Maybe a normal person could just go back to doing what they do. But we can't go back to kicking and stuff right away because it's still like the bone bruise and, the, and all that stuff. It's still pretty sensitive for a while, so took a while to kind of get past that point, got back to it though, and um, I feel good, man, feel good, back to doing what I do best, um, kind of uh, reinvigorated by it, man, I've been, I, I hate being injured to be honest, I mean, I mean, most people do, but I've broken the same foot three times in fighting, and so uh, it, it's something that uh, every time I'm, I'm back on crutches or something again, it just, it reminds me of how much I, I want to be back in the gym and doing what I want to do and training whatever I want to train that day. And so, yeah, being uh, sidelined after a, a great victory for two or three months kind of put a damper on the victory because I was just sitting in bed once I got home. Um, so I was uh, I was I was super happy to get back in the gym once I was cleared by the doctor and get things going for the gym. Now, it sounds to me like every time you're on crutches, that's an all-too-familiar feeling and, and a very frustrating one. Yeah, it sucks, man. I mean, I'll tell you what, like, I, I, I get injured a lot, man. Maybe it's my fighting style. You know, I'm, I'm obviously predominantly a striker, um, and uh, I throw a lot of strikes. You know, I lead the entire division in strikes per minute or strikes per fight or whatever. So I throw a lot of strikes um, with all limbs, you know, uh, and, and it, 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 it has its wear and tear. You know, I've had three knee surgeries, three broken feet, uh, three, broke my foot three times. I've, I broke my hand. Two years ago, I had elbow surgery. A couple of years ago, so um, it's part of the sport, man. It's 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 funny how like when the fights are over, you see us in the cage, and sometimes our faces are messed up, but sometimes it doesn't look like we're that much wear and tear, just with the sweat and the lights and everything, and and the adrenaline. But uh, once you get back in that locker room, and the adrenaline starts wearing off, and the bruising starts setting in on the face, and the swelling in the ankles, and um. And, uh, I mean, for this last fight, I, my foot was hurt and I was limping, but I went to Disney World the next day. I went to Disney World all day. And wow. then by that night, yeah, then by that night, after being on my feet all day, um, I said, shit, something is definitely wrong. And I went to the emergency room that night, 24 hours later, and I realized that my foot was badly broken. So, um, yeah, man, like sometimes you don't really initially know what's going on with yourself until a day or two later when all the injuries really, really start sitting, setting in, 
sport, man, you could you could have a fourteen second knockout. You could you could do like Conor McGregor did to uh, to Jose Aldo and knock him out. But Conor might have hurt his hand, right? You know, you never know, man. Because I've done that. I've, I've got a fourteen second knockout in my amateur, and I got a fifteen second knockout in my pro debut. And both times I did that, I had hurt myself. Uh, not greatly. It wasn't like I needed surgery, but there's always these small injuries that are nagging. But you know, it's part of the sport, man. And I'm not complaining about it. But I love, I love being healthy, man. It makes you enjoy the training a lot more. For sure, for sure. And what you're talking about, you know, after the fight, while the fans might not see what you're going through with that adrenaline in the cage, on the same side of that, man, a lot of fans don't realize how many of you go into a fight with nagging injuries or a serious injury or something like that. So. I agree with you 100%, man. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what the fans see on TV. Yeah, yeah, always been that way, always been that way. True, true. Now, uh, this is definitely a fun fight. Uh, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, July 22nd in Hamburg, Germany. Give us your thoughts on uh, Danny and how you guys match up. Um, I think this is a fight that was kind of inevitable. Um, you know, if you're kind of a guy doing exciting things in the division, you're going to fight a, a guy like that as well. And um, he's similar to me in some ways, you know what I'm saying? We're both pretty athletic welterweights. Uh, we're both predominantly strikers. He's a southpaw, as I am. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a game that southpaws play. You know, there's, there's certain things that I see that other southpaws do. And having watched some of his footage, he does a lot of that stuff as well. I just think I do it better. You know, I've been doing it longer. I have more fights. I think he's, I think he's four and two inside of the UFC, and uh, I'm something like seven and four. So um, I, I feel that, um, you know, he's past that level. I think once you, you know, ten is roughly a number that I kind of, I kind of judge fighters by. Like if you have less than ten fights, you're probably still good and tough, but there are going to be holes in your game just because it comes with the amount of octagon time, ring time that you've been in there and been in all these precarious situations and, and, and weird places and had to deal with certain types of fighters and whatnot. So anyway, 10's always been kind of like my number. In this, and, 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 and with him, he's above that 10-fight mark for sure. He's a seasoned fighter who's seen just about it all. But I feel like my the amount of fights that I've had inside of the octagon at the highest level and then before that fighting in LFA and whatnot um, – I feel like I've dealt with fighters like him where he's good and he's athletic, but I do certain things a little bit better. And uh, I've always got that killer instinct. But um, it definitely is going to be an exciting fight, man. He brings it. I do it as well. I, I bring it. and he, he, uh, He's got a bit of a boxing background. He likes to play with the kicks. Um, I'm probably more of a kicker before punching sometimes. I use A lot of times I like to use my kicks just to kind of set up the punch. Um but it, uh, all in all, man, I, I feel like this is one of the fights on the card that the fans could expect to see fireworks. For sure, and what a great card it is. That's something I wanted to get to here in a moment. But I'm wondering, you know, considering the momentum coming off of the Saunders fight, how how important is it for you to keep that momentum going and get another big win in Germany? Yeah, I mean, every fighter wants to keep the momentum going. Every fighter wants to win. Your next fight is always your biggest fight. But, um, man, I, I'll be honest. I'll be real. Look, I'm... I'm 36 years old, and I know I'm not going to do this forever. Um, I've had my times, you know, in 2016, I went 3-0, and and then 
up, and, and I didn't get my place in like the rankings, and and uh, you know they were throwing me all these undefeated guys, and I was putting them away, and I, I wasn't able to move up like I wanted. They weren't kind of giving me the respect, and then the rankings really got sh- sh- shaken up in 2017. A lot of the guys that were just always there, that were embedded in the top 15, got pushed out. Right. New blood came in, and um, since then. I've been trying to rebuild my momentum because now that the rankings have finally been able to uh, move around and let new blood in, um, I really want to make a go at it. Um, so, yeah, coming off of a big win, I knew that was a must win. I was coming off of two losses, man, and, like, I was thinking, shit, am I in fear of my job? I don't even know, you know? So I needed to win over Ben, and I needed to do it in a big way. I did that. I did what I what I promised myself. I would do everything to get ready, and you know, just, just I was – do everything possible to have the best percentage of that happening that night. And I did that, and I got the results I wanted. Um, and I think Danny Roberts is another guy that I need to do the same thing. I need to do everything possible to give myself the best percentage of not only winning, but putting him, him away. We know that, like, the UFC is all about, you know, if you can talk to talk, it helps. You have to be able to fight. Most guys in the UFC can fight. You have to be an exciting fighter. I checked that off the list. I don't really do a lot of the trash talking. That's not my style. But I think what I make up for is style points. You know, if I can make up not having to talk a bunch of trash and be the Kobe Covington, I think the best way to supplement that is to fight with style. You know what I'm saying? To put guys away, put on fight of the nights, and I do those things. I think doing it again against Danny Roberts will then set me up for what I've been longing for, man, and that's that top 15 opponent or putting me in the top 15 um, – and I'm not trying to, like, pick a place because every time I've picked a destination, um, I've gotten screwed. <laughs> I'm almost scared to say it. But, yeah, ideally my goal um, that I've, since, since January 1st, basically, has been to, uh, you know, go undefeated this year uh, and get a top 15 opponent or be in a top 15 and fight at Madison Square Garden. So that, that would be my ideal um, way to finish the year, man, putting Danny Roberts away, which is going to be tough, but I know I can do it, putting him away in style, getting those style points, it sets me up with enough mo- momentum to, um, like I said, give me that big fight, and preferably in November and in New York at Madison. Now, you mentioned your age there, and you feel like uh, this is another opportunity for you to kind of restart that run towards the goal of becoming a champion, but I mean, when you mention your age there, are you talking about... Uh, you see that maybe this is possibly your last opportunity to put that together before, uh, you know, you decide that this sport has passed by? I don't know, man. I don't know. When you, if you mean uh, last opportunity to put a run together, uh, you know, maybe so, maybe not. You know, this, this sport's so weird, though, man. Like, obviously, you want to put a run together and, and momentum, especially, like, when you when you kind of have a timeline like me, you know. Um, but... But the sport's such a weird thing, man. Like, I, I I, could lose a fight and then come back and there could be a last-minute replacement for a top-10 guy. And yeah. I go and clean clean his clock and all of a sudden I'm right back to where I was trying to build to get to, you know? So the sport's very weird. Um, you never really know. But ideally, yes, ideally, um, uh, at 36 years old, I'm trying to only fight fights that are moving me up, uh, that, that are getting me somewhere, that are trying to do do things for my career, not just random fights. Um, and although Danny Roberts is a guy that I don't even know where we're ranked, but he's probably not ranked above me, I, would, I wouldn't I would assume 
whom he is. Um, I think he's built uh, enough of a, a of a new fan base, and coming off his last fight with the, a knockout, and he's kind of been under the radar to the to the mass public. Um, he's not a huge name, but he's a guy that to the to the fans that do know him, they know that he brings it. He brings brought a lot of exciting fights. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity for me. Is what I'm getting at. He's a good opportunity for me to do what I do best: put on an exciting fight uh, against another guy who brings exciting fights, um, and use that momentum moving forward. Right, right. Now you fought all over the world: Australia, Brazil, London, now Germany. Tell us how excited are you to, to be on this card, compete for the German fans, and I know that a lot of fighters like to get out there and acclimate a little early. Will you be doing the same? Yeah. Hey, look, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I was not excited about Germany. I turned it down because this is the thing. I was looking for a fight, and I didn't know who I wanted to fight, but I needed a timeline that I was, that I was going to be healed, and then obviously I wanted a close destination. Um, so I knew I was going to be ready in around July. So I was asking for July 6th and 7th in Vegas. You know, I'm in L.A. I'm based in L.A. Vegas is right there. And um, there was some exciting fights. So that's what I was asking for. Um, and then also I saw August 4th, the Staples Center card got put on the map. So I was like, well, if I can't get Vegas in July, let me get Staples Center in L.A. I'm in L.A. Um, and let's do that one. And then they threw me in the middle of those two events. They threw me Germany, July 22nd. So I went back to him and I was pissed. I was like, hell no. Why am I going to Germany? <laughs> you know, why am I flying 18 hours and spending all this money on flights and hotels when I can fight my, at home, you know, or in Vegas? And so uh, I turned it down, man. I turned down the fight. And this is in the same timeline that the stuff was going on with Yair Rodriguez where he turned on the fight and they cut him. And some other guys were having trouble with getting fights and matchmaking. I know a lot of guys that I train with are saying right now they're having a tough time getting fights. So this is all going on right now and I feel like the UFC is in a position right now where um, they kind of want to use their authority. They kind of want to use their power trip at the moment and, and tell guys what, what they want them to do. For some reason I think they have their heart set on Danny fighting in Germany. Um, because I kept asking man, give me Boise, Idaho, give me Vegas, give me LA, <laughs> give me Give me anywhere close, you know, I want a right. one hour, two hour flight, why am I flying 18 hours and and, uh, and they weren't having it, so I went back and I accepted it because I figured, you know, Dana White put out a tweet the other day, I think, saying, if we offer you a fight, it's best for you to, to take it, and um, I've been kind of, kind of getting, uh, I've been kind of getting the hint of that through the matchmakers, through Dana White, through the UFC, through guys not getting fights lately from everyone so again I took the fight wasn't very pleased about it that they were making me travel across the world when I could be fighting in my backyard multiple opportunities um moved on though man you can't dwell on shit that's out of your control right so I did that accepted it I'm actually pretty excited about it now though I am excited I've got uh got some friends in Germany my wrestling coach Kenny Johnson teaches a lot of seminars out there we're gonna have a lot of people kind of helping us out a lot of gyms to work with um and I'm looking forward to it, man. I am going. It is a bit further, so I am going to go out there about a day or two early. Nothing crazy. I'm not going to go out there for like 10, 10 12 days. But uh, normally we arrive on flights on like a Tuesday. I'm going to go a day earlier than that. Uh, but this is a Sunday fight. This is one of those kind of odd ones. This isn't a Saturday night fight. This is going to be like a Sunday, um, 
right. Because a lot of little adjustments should be taken into account when fighting far away, different time zones on a different day, different time slots and all that. So I'm kind of just piecing it all together uh, during the camp right now. Now, it, it sounds to me like with all the stuff that was going on with Yair and then you initially turning down the fight, I mean, when you first turned it down, did you get nervous that, you know, maybe that same situation could, could be coming your way as well? I didn't, but, you know, my, my manager hinted at it. He goes, man, I know how they work. And if, if they came back and said Danny Roberts in Germany, like, they came back very quickly with, with that matchup um, once we had been on their case for a while. And he just kind of told me, I know the way they work, and usually it's like one thing at a time. How about this guy or how about this location? But they came back with pretty much like the entire contract right away. And it led us to believe that they were in search for an exciting fight for Danny Roberts in Germany. Like, they wanted him there for some reason. Right. Um, maybe, you know, he's a, he's a European fighter or whatnot. So, um, but I did not. But although, although we were searching for a fight for quite a while and not getting any, any love back, and all of a sudden they gave us this contract, basically, I told my manager, man, I was like, dude, I am not flying across the... You know, I'm trying to get on Vegas to L.A., and so we turned it down. Wasn't really nervous about it until each week we would email them and be like, yo, what's the deal? We turned it down. Can we get on one of these cards? And there was no response. No response. So from there, after about three weeks of um, kind of getting the cold shoulder is when I kind of took initiative and I reached out to my manager. And I said, look, man, I'm going to take your advice on this one. I'm just going to take one for the team and... Uh, you know, do what the UFC is asking. And then my only thing that I, I asked my manager is, that, can you kind of relate to them that, look, I'll take this fight. This will be my third international fight out of four fights. Like, you look, I'm doing I'm doing what you guys are asking, but you need to work with me in the next one. And as, as I told him, I said, let me get, if I get a big win here, work with me in the next one. Ideally, I would love to be in Madison Square Garden. That's kind of something that's on my bucket list. And so uh, that's kind of my goal. I'm hoping that that's what happens. I'm playing ball with them that they play ball with me after this fight. Well, you would hope so. You know, you've scratched their back plenty of times. Hopefully they'll they'll do that for you. And like you were saying, uh, you know, your bucket list, I think every fighter's bucket list is Madison Square Garden is on there as well. Uh, but, you know, th- just just to stay with this Yair thing for a bit and, and, you know, people being cut and what Dana White has said, for me, when I first looked at that, I, I started to immediately think to myself, I'm, I went back to the fact that, there is no collective representation for fighters. And, you know, you've heard all these talks about there, there needing to be a union. Is this another instance like that where, you know, we can point to that and say, hey, we need a union? Or, like you're saying, with the UFC playing hardball, it, is that just part of the game at this point? Man, honestly, a, a year or two ago, I was if you would have asked me about a union, I was going to tell you a year or two ago, there will be a union by the end of uh, 2016 and 2017 because um, a couple of these startup union uh, deals that were happening reached out to me and put me on their, um, you know, their group chat and whatnot, and I couldn't sleep at night. My phone was buzzing all night long. Um, All these fighters were talking, you know, and uh, working together and putting stuff together. Every time I would look at my phone, they were like, all right, we got this in place. We got this lawyer. We got this thing. Sign this. And I was thinking, wow, this is this is actually moving a lot faster than I imagined. Um, and there were two of them. There was the one that was kind of publicized with, like, I think it was, like, GSP and Cowboy and stuff. 
Yeah, Kung Lee, I think, too. The, it was headed up by uh, Bjorn, right? Right. That one kind of seemed like it was just more for show. There was another one that had, like, Randy Couture and, 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 and people like that, that that a lot of fighters were a part of. That was the group chat that was keeping me up at night. And, um, but, yeah, like I said, they were just moving really fast and seemed to be making a lot of a lot of headway with it. And I really talk anytime I would speak to somebody who was kind of a part of the 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 foundation of that group, they, they, they would sell themselves to you that, look, we got this going on and uh, we will have a union. Uh, with, it's just a matter of time. And uh, it seemed to have fade away, faded away, man. Like, the, I, you don't really hear the strong talks about the union stuff like you were a year or two ago. They were, it was a big deal. It was a big topic a year or two ago. And um, I'm really not sure why. I'm really not sure why it kind of dissolved or what happened. Um, I know that I, I wasn't trying to be the uh, the messenger for that, though. You know what I mean? Right. Sucks, you know, I, 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 I'm in favor of it, and it would help a lot of fighters. But um, as you've seen a lot of times in this sport, man, the messenger gets killed. The messenger gets slaughtered. People like Leslie Smith was very outspoken. I thought it was very courageous of her. Of her to uh, kind of put herself out there. She was one of the people that was that was always on the message thing, kind of helping lead the charge. But um, I think, didn't Leslie Smith get cut recently for turning down <laughs> a fight? Or... Yep, yep. She, well, she refused to fight. Uh, her opponent was overweight significantly. She refused to take the fight and then, and then was cut. And if I'm not mistaken, she had won the fight before that. So she got cut on a win for refusing to take a fight with someone who was significantly overweight. So I think it shows you one of two things. A, I think she might have already been kind of red flagged by the UFC from being the messenger, from leading the charge with the union, for being for being so outspoken. Which, like I said, I have a massive respect for her for doing that. I just I didn't want to put myself in that position, being a father, being a family man, that would jeopardize um, my career. Um, but also, it leads back to the argument that we were just talking about. Her turning down fights, not taking fights. Um, that one right now is a big no-no in the UFC right now, man. If, if, if your opponent comes in overweight and it's freaking weigh-ins the day before the fight, you've done all the, everything you had to do, and you turn down the fight, the UFC is not feeling that shit. They're going to let you have it. They're going to try to screw you over. You need to take that fight. The bad thing about that is, me and Karen Bryan talk about this on our podcast all the time. She knows the numbers. I don't know the numbers, but it's like, something like seven out of the last eight fights that someone has come in overweight, the person who came in overweight has still won. So, uh, I'm not too much a numbers guy, or too superstitious, but I mean, the numbers don't lie. So, the people that are coming in five pounds heavy, it's giving them a slight advantage, um, and they're winning these fights. Um, But yeah, you've seen it, man. You've seen where guys, I think it was like Pedro... Pedro Munoz came in, who's a buddy of mine, came in a little bit overweight in Brazil against, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, the, 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 the light-skinned black guy from Albuquerque who's always dancing and stuff. Um, oh, God. Heavy hands. But uh, I can't remember his name. Also. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank, know. too. <laughs> but he moved up from flyweight. But, uh, but anyway, you know, he didn't take the fight, and they didn't uh, oh, Dodson? give him any money. So John John Dodson, right? They didn't, yeah, they, they, they didn't give him his show money. They didn't give him nothing. You know, they didn't reimburse him for his trip. Uh, and uh, Leslie Smith incident as well. So, yeah, man, it's, it's kind of 
Right, right. And and I don't want to harp on this too long because, like you're saying, I understand, uh, you know, for job security alone, while you agree with the idea of collective bargaining, you don't exactly want to spearhead it either. Um, but, you know, staying along with this, I think that Randy Couture talked about it the most was the fact that if the Muhammad Ali Act doesn't get passed for MMA, this is all kind of conjecture and, and we're just hoping for the best at this point. If the Ali Act was passed for MMA, then you could probably see some progress on this front. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's, that's what made them more legitimate than, than some of these other uh, organizations that were trying to uh, establish a union was, um, like you said, uh, this one that involves Randy trying to get the Muhammad Ali Act going. Um, otherwise, it's all just for show. Right, right. Now, you know, you talked a bit about the podcast there with Karen. Uh, I wanted to pick your brain on a couple things, man. You, you know, you're t- I know you're an analyst as well as a fighter. You've done the analyst work on, this, on the Fox desk as well. But, you know, we're talking about the weight being overweight. You mentioned she had talked about some t- statistics about uh, the fighters coming in overweight, winning their fights. All this stuff that went down with Darren Till and, and all these fighters that we're discussing here, people are talking about it being cheating at this point, coming in overweight. Do you agree with that? Where do you stand on that? Um, it is. It is cheating. I don't think, though, that I saw, I think, I think it was Dominic Cruz that was kind of leading the charge when uh, Mackenzie Dern came in like seven pounds, grossly overweight, and he said that he thought this was premeditated, that this was... Uh, that this was a ploy. This was something she was doing. She wanted to be the heavier fighter. Obviously, she's a grappler. She wanted to be on top and be heavy. I don't believe that. I don't believe that, that someone would, would would premeditate missing weight uh, in order to get an advantage. But I do believe that this is what happens when when you're cutting weight and you know you're not going to make. You know, you're looking at the scale, and normally you have two pounds to go at this at this time, but you still got five pounds to go. You can do two. You can do one of two things. You can keep pushing and try to make it to the finish line, although you probably know you're not going to make it, and drain yourself down and still miss weight, still miss weight, and still pay the penalty. But you're still going to try to lose that extra two or three pounds to get as close as you can and weaken your body, or you can say, you know what? I'm not going to win anyway. I'm not going to make weight, so I'm just going to give up. Whatever, I'm going to pay a fine, but at least I'm not going to starve myself and deplenish my body any further, and then I'll have an advantage in the fight. And I believe that's what fighters are doing. Fighters are saying, shit, I'm not going to make the weight anyway. Let me just stop now, because there's no point. If I'm three pounds over or I'm one pound over, I'm going to pay the same penalty. So I'm going to just quit now. And that's where I feel like I was cheating, because... Look, I don't have to say all this, but you, we signed a contract and we agree upon this weight. You don't make what you did on the contract. Then the contract could be voided. I mean, you're not saying what we agreed upon. Um, but fighters are still taking the fight. But when you know that guys are doing this, when they're just saying, look, I'm going to give up early. That way I do have that advantage and I'm not too weak. And they're getting the win. Something has to be done. And that's what a lot of fighters are talking about. Higher fines, bigger penalties. Um... I think it. I think it absolutely should be kind of like in a in a weight increment. You know, if you're one pound over, uh, then then you have uh, like the normal whatever twenty percent. But if you're coming over, you know, then maybe it goes up. If you're two pounds over, it goes up to maybe twenty five. Right, incrementally, right. Yeah, there's like 
half pounds and you're the main event, man, you gotta you gotta you gotta really hit these guys in the pocketbook. Um, Darren Till, look, I got respect for him. I'm not trash talking him, but like he was saying, I don't care about the money. I don't, you know, this and that. I know the money's gonna come, um, but I think he might be saying a different story if he said, okay, well, look, you came in three and a half cut off for any type of show money or whatever money, you know, you gotta you gotta say, look, we're taking your entire win bonus, giving it to your opponent or whatever, because look, if one of one of such a good team player, obviously he, he could have said, nah, screw this. This dude's already the gorilla. He's already huge. I'm not thinking three and a half giving him a three and a half pound uh, weight uh, advantage over me, he's already gonna be the bigger fighter. And and that would have been the entire main event. It would have got thrown in the trash can. It would have the UFC would have lost a ton of money. He played ball. He did what the UFC wanted. They should have rewarded him heavily. And on top of that, I feel like he got robbed. I don't want to say robbed. Robbed is a strong word for that fight. These are very, very close rounds. But on paper, uh, scoring it round for round, I had it in favor of um, Stephen Thompson winning 3-2. to two. He did not get robbed because these rounds are so close. But I feel that he should have won the fight. Uh, so the, so, so to get the fight taken from you that I feel he deserved a victory and the guy have an advantage like that, um, things didn't have to change inside the UFC. Well, that that was one of those uh, perfect examples of, of the crowd swaying judges, right? Uh, 100%. 100%. Because, because, look, you have three judges, and they're all sitting at three different angles, right? So most of the time, at least two of the judges, if not impact of the shot and I noticed that during the fight I remember watching every time Darren Till would posture for a big punch and it was grazing off of one of the boys uh, something like that the crowd was still erupting and making it as if like wow he landed something. I don't know what it was, but one of the boys stepped back, and so they were scoring those. Well, I don't believe those were, those were, those should have been scored. They persuaded the judges. And then, to be honest, the whole cop, uh, what do you call it, the copy stat, the, 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 the fight metrics, the numbers right. of, uh, man, that shit is, you might as well throw that out the window, man. Um, like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Look, I only watched the fight once, but I trust my instincts because, I study fights all the time, and 90% of the time, my instinct doesn't let me down. I miss shit now and then, but me and every other fighter and every other analyst all agreed on this, that, like, Darren Till did not outstrike, significant strike, he did not significantly outstrike one of them. Um, a lot of those were grazing, a lot of those missed, a lot of those were kind of like touching shots. He landed some good shots, he landed the, he landed the cleanest shot of the fight in the fifth round, he landed some decent leg kicks, but uh, yeah, to say that he out punched Wonder Boy every round to me is ludicrous, man. Like, like you were seeing Wonder Boy counter back with three, four, five punch combos, and now and then there until would land like a jab or something. Um, so I don't believe the fight metrics numbers as well. I think that needs to be fixed because I think uh, John McCarthy or somebody like that brought up a good a good point. Um, Who's, who's doing that? Who's counting these punches? Is it just somebody that works for Fox? Is right. It <laughs> right. Or is it an actual, like, licensed or experienced fighter? Who knows what a significant strike is? Things like that. We don't know who's scoring it. It's just somebody 
hand saying, oh, they touch, they touch, they touch. But um, there's no way that, you know, I don't think either of those guys are landing 50 punches per round like they had it in the fight. So, yeah, I think that's another thing that needs to change uh, looking at. Because I know the judges aren't looking at that in real time, but when people are arguing about the fight afterwards, and you've seen some of the stuff that they said were significant strikes or punches landed, um, a lot of it was very awesome. Right, and, and not to mention uh, whoever's got that clicker that's behind the scenes taking those numbers, are they are they accounting for shots that are blocked or not? So I, I think that's a big deal as well. Um, but listen, something else I wanted to get your take on is this new UFC deal with ESPN. Fox scooped up the WWE. They clearly didn't want to pay for the UFC TV rights. Uh, is that a good move for the UFC in your opinion? I think so. I think so. Look, look. As, as the U.S. Um, as, as ESPN always says, they're the worldwide leader in sports, right? So, um, why would we not want to be with them? I think it's kind of if, if you grew up in America, if you're an American fighter, it's always kind of been a, a dream to fight on ESPN. You know, I mean, if you're not on the major cable networks um, or ESPN, those are where you want to be. You don't want to be in these uh, NBC, HD, whatever these, these these channels that you can't even find half the time. Um, ESPN is going to give a, ESPN is a massive audience, you know, they have a massive audience, a massive following, and by ESPN picking up the UFC, you're also going to start seeing a lot more shows, all these UFC Tonight shows, and um, other things are now going to go to ESPN, so this massive sports audience will now be viewing, not only viewing our fights, but viewing all the teasers and the promos and everything else, and I think because of that, we're going to be able to acquire even larger fan base so um i think it's a great move i was actually kind of hoping that with the initial deal they were saying that like maybe espn was going to pick up about 15 shows and then fox would have the rest of them i was kind of hoping for that because then we would have kind of uh we'd be working with two sharks you know we have uh two different networks promoting us pushing us and then, you know, having shows and stuff so we kind of get double the love um but ESPN decided to go in and swoop it all up. But, yeah, I think it's a good thing, man. I'm just really curious what happens with uh, the shows, you know, the, the established shows like UFC Tonight and all these other things that we have, um, you know, the Ultimate Fighters and all these other things. Like, does ESPN now start producing their own shows or what happens to all that stuff? I saw that, um, you know, they picked up, what, Chell Sonnen and Ariel Hawani is going to spread their own show or podcast and whatnot, so... It looks like they're in the process of putting together some, producing some new content already. Yeah, the question is, how does that all unfold? How does it get uh, prioritized? Who does what? And, you know, something else I wanted to ask you about is, is how does all of this affect your, your partner in crime, Karen Bryant? Do, do you know if she'll be making the transition over to ESPN as well? I don't know, man. See, that's what I was asking her. She says that, um, the thing is, um, let me think how she told me, the, 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 Whatever network is is uh, showing the show, they are producing it. So the, so Fox produces everything now, and eventually when it goes to, whatever goes to ESPN, ESPN will produce it. But I believe the UFC still has the UFC still has the the main voice and who the talent is. So with that said, I know the UFC is very happy with Karen and all these other people they have. Do they now take the talent that already exists? and put them in place with the newly produced ESPN show, or does ESPN want uh, a stronger 
say in things that they're producing it on who the talent is. I don't know, man. But I'm hoping, honestly, that my good friend Karen Bryant, uh, that none of her job is jeopardized in this transition. She's the best at what she does. Um, with that said, also, I'm trying to get my foot in the door as well. I've been trying to get my foot in the door at Fox for, for quite a bit now. And uh, as soon as I heard about ESPN picking up things, um, I started trying to get in touch with anybody I could from ESPN, even though, like I said, UFC is the one that has the And who the talent is going to be on the show. I've been trying to just get my foot in the door at ESPN, get an audition there or something to show what I can do. So that's kind of be my... Uh, uh, my goal as well to kind of um, start doing some work for ESPN this year. Yeah, that, that that's a smart move of you, man. Try to get your foot in the door early, and that kind of sucks that you've made some progress with Fox, Fox, and now all of a sudden you have to move over and try to start all over with ESPN. But uh, <laughs> it's crazy, man. We'll we'll see how it all works out, and I certainly hope that Karen uh, keeps her position. She is spectacular at what she does, as you mentioned. But as always, man, you've been more than generous with your time. I just have a couple more questions here for you. You've talked about wanting a ranked opponent after Danny. You've also said that you want to compete at Madison Square Garden in November. I hope both of those come to fruition. But when you look at the landscape and who's out there for you to fight in the top 15, does anybody come to mind? Is there anybody that you prefer? I got to look, man. I mean, it's, it's got to be a ranked guy, but um, I'd have to look at the rankings because the rankings have been changing quite a bit. But, you know, a, uh, a Neil Magny, a... Uh, a, a um, I don't. I honestly, I don't even know what the what the rankings look like. What's his name? The Korean guy, Dong uh, Young Kim. Dong uh, Young Kim. You know, one of these guys that that uh, are somewhere between like eight and fifteen. I'm just. I'm, I'm realistic, man. You know, I know sometimes you call out the champ and, and, and it creates conversations, but I'm just more realistic. I'm not trying to call out the number one or two guy that already have, you know, a, a path uh, and, and, and fights that make sense for them. I'm looking at the guys that, um, realistically, if I'm the guy knocking on the door at the top 15, then realistically I'd probably be fighting a guy that's ranked 15 to 8 or something like that. So I'm going to see who's in the rankings there. But, uh, yeah, I'm just going to have my eye on, like, Dung Young Kim, uh, Neil Magny, anybody uh, around there that uh, fight makes sense. And they seem to be guys that take fights as well. in that top five, take a fight uh, with somebody but below you because they're trying to obviously fight up to get that opportunity in the title. But guys like Neil Magny and Young Kim and, and whatnot, they've all, they seem to be taking a lot of fights with guys uh, that are ranked below them and stuff because they, they've kind of been in that top of team for quite a while. And they kind of they kind of haven't had the opportunity to move up too much because they've lost those big fights, so they've had to kind of fight uh, down in the numbers, so to speak. So I think those kind of fights are yeah, I've talked about that at length on this show, the fact that the guys in the upper rankings need to give the guys in the lower rankings an opportunity to get there, I mean, just like they had. But at the same time, you understand the fact that, that they want to move up, not look behind them. It's kind of a catch-22 there, but uh, hopefully you get one of those fights with a big win in Germany. Speaking of the fight against Danny Roberts, man, uh, on paper, like we talked about, most would assume that this is going to be a stand-up battle. How do you visualize the fight playing out? I don't know, man. Um, I've been working a lot of my grappling, and I don't show a lot of my grappling, but grappling's there, man. I've been a brown belt for a long time, uh, and, and, and I've been wrestling under Kitty Johnson for years now. It's just such a gamble for me. I'm, I'm a, I am a predominant striker, and when you go from a striking rhythm where you feel comfortable that you can keep a certain pace, 
him in the face. I'm like, dude, I'm kneeing him in the face all day. <laughs> right. You know I mean, it's more exciting for the fans. I've proven to be able to finish fights that way. And I'm not really risking my gas tank if I was going to jump on the ground with them and create a scramble while I'm having to work extra hard to keep them down. Um, so, uh, but, but what I'm getting back to is I've been working a lot on my grappling. I feel like there's some holes that he has there. Um, I feel like uh, I'm always looking for that big knockout. Um, I don't care how it comes, man, but uh, you might see some different things from me in this fight being that I've been working a lot more on the grappling and being that he is a softball and softball opponent, different, different, uh, he brings out different, different, uh, techniques. Um, I've always had to kind of fight in a certain way being a softball. Well, most of my opponents have been orthodox, but being softball versus softball now, I get to do a lot of traditional stuff. Got a, I'm excited about, man, but, um, I believe that I will put this guy away, man. I really believe it. I believe that I'm going to put him away. Uh, I, I wrote it down at the beginning of this year. I mentally am at a place right now where uh, I go into training, and when I'm hitting pads, I visualize being inside of the octagon. I visualize seeing the crowd there. I visualize the smell of the arena. And these are the kind of little things that just brings you into the environment closer and closer, makes you feel more at home there every day. And, uh, as long as I continue to train like that, it gives me the belief that um, I'll be victorious in this fight. Well, man, I'll tell you what, I'm very excited for it. I'm certainly looking forward to the fight, and I and I truly hope that we can catch up uh, closer to fight week, maybe not fight week as you'll be in Germany, but uh, always a pleasure to speak with you, brother. I hope you have a fantastic training camp. Uh, before we let you go, though, any shout-outs or, or sponsor plugs before we, before we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, man, just uh, shout out if you haven't. Like we mentioned earlier, me and my partner, Karen Bryant, we do a, uh, a podcast, MMAHeat.com. Check it out. Uh, we do it every Monday, and we pretty much just break down the fights. Break down the fights and preview the upcoming fights. And uh, I, I like to say we keep it pretty professional. You know what I'm saying? We joke around, but you're not going to uh, have me telling 20-minute stories about flat earth or <laughs> or or, 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 I don't know, just, you know, there's a lot of crazy podcasts out there that are like four hours long and you get caught up in these stories, but if you want to know exactly what happened in the fights the last weekend and exactly what to expect in the fights coming up, tune into our podcast, we'll give you the uh, the good stuff. And then other than that, man, Sanibal has been one of my main sponsors at Muscle Farm, these are my two main sponsors, they've been showing me nothing but love, they put together a fight team over at Muscle Farm. And uh, we're doing a lot of great things. Have a lot of great fighters coming through there. So uh, excited to have them. Awesome. Again, great conversation, man. I could talk to you for hours, but for sake of time, you know, we gotta gotta do what we gotta do. But again, thank you very much. I hope you have a great day, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, brother. Same to you, Jay. Take care, brother. All right, man. Later. Later. Somebody needs to really push for Allen to get an analyst job, a sports desk job. Something with ESPN. You heard us talk about the sport for quite some time there. He's got a lot of interesting ideas, a lot of great perspective, considering how long he's been competing at this high level. And of course, we wish him the best on July 22nd at UFC Hamburg against Hot... Nope. At UFC Hamburg against Hot Chocolate, Danny Roberts, July 22nd. All right, so that's it for me, guys. This has been episode 83. I hope you enjoyed the conversations we had with all of these athletes. Make sure you guys subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Make sure you tune in next week 
for more great conversations with some of the best athletes in the business. I'm your host, Jay Kinch, on behalf of everybody at BJPenn.com. Peace out, everybody.